Chapter 50 The Blue Marble The sun hung above as it shone upon the serene lake. The sky was blue, inviting everyone to bask in the warmth outside and enjoy the weather. Everything appeared utterly ordinary at first glance, until it wasn't. The surface of the lake erupted as a giant maw emerged. In the mouth of the enormous fish was a several meters long insect that had been invisibly surfing along the surface of the water only moments earlier. The fish looked like a giant bass. Its teeth were far more elongated and sharper than expected, and the sheen from their sharpness only amplified by the glittering droplets of water. Despite its size and jaw strength, it failed to shut its maw tight. Four powerful legs of what had been a small water strider before the system held it open. At the same time, it opened its tiny mouth and let out a blast of water straight down into the mouth of the beast that had tried to eat it. In a turn of events where the hunter became the hunted, the fish was bisected into two pieces by a water cutter. Blood flew everywhere as the beast died from the powerful attack, unable even to comprehend its demise. The victory of the strider was short-lived, however. From above dove the figure of a giant bird, and before the strider could reconnect with the water and make its escape, it was caught in two powerful talons that crushed its feeble head. The giant hawk beat its wings as it flew off with its dead prey still clutched below it. The serene lake that was now filled with blood reflected in its eyes, the sun above uncaring. Earth had become a battlefield, a battlefield the humans would now rejoin. Once more, they would strive to be at the top of the food chain. What had once been a great city was now but a shell of its former self. The massive monoliths of glass that had marked the prowess of human engineering now lay shattered on the ground, the structures toppled to the ground or ripped apart from the inside out. Nature had not been kind to human civilization. It had reclaimed most of what had formerly been taken from it by urban development. Grass now grew in the streets, moss covered the buildings that still stood, and one could even see trees that had grown to full size in mere weeks. This day there was a significant change. Scattered around the city, humans appeared. All at once, the city that had been populated by nearly a million people was now inhabited once more. Of the million people, around eight or nine hundred thousand had returned, a phenomenon that was not just in this city, but the entire world. The tutorial survival rate of 86% would surprise most, some for how low it was and some for how high. Inside what had once been the lobby of a big office building, a cluster of humans appeared. The many-storied juggernaut was now reduced to only its ground floor. Among those who appeared stood a man with long, blonde hair in a white robe, together with a stoic armored man by his side. Jacob looked around to get a feeling for his surroundings. He instantly noticed many familiar faces in the crowd. Familiar, yet foreign. Only a bit over two months had passed, but he could see the changes on everyone's faces. His lighthouse of the Holy Mother allowed him to soak in the emotions of all those around him. He felt mainly trepidation mixed in with a bit of relief. It was no surprise that many were happy that the nightmare of the tutorial was over. The emotions were many and varied, but one stood out more than any of the others, stood out in that Jacob couldn't feel anything at all. A solitary figure stood covered in a brown cloak given to archers, Beneath it one could see the black leather armor, and beneath him two shoddy-looking boots. Jacob couldn't even look at his face, as a mask now covered it. Yet he didn't fail to recognize his old employee, Jake. 
Soon the silence was broken as people began talking. Some were simply looking for comfort, others asking about their loved ones. Not everyone had entered the tutorial with those closest to them, far from it. A few even saw Jacob and turned to him for direction, and direction he would give them. Everyone please calm down, he yelled out, amplified by one of the two remnant skills from his time as a warrior, Amplify Voice. A weak, common rarity skill, but it was more than enough to have the focus of the room switch to him. He even felt two powerful eyes from behind a mask pierce into him. He shuddered slightly inwardly, but appeared unfazed outwardly. Jacob, is that you? someone asked. Looking at him, Jacob saw it was Mike, Joanna's husband. It is good to see you made it, Mike. I... Were you in the tutorial with my wife? What about everyone else in the elevator with us back then? Mike interrupted fanically. The anxiousness was clear on his face. I am sorry. Our tutorial was a mess, Jacob answered, loud enough for everyone around to hear. The focus was now solely on him. We had bad actors. They moved to conquer or simply kill everyone. In the end, they succeeded. Even I lost my life and only managed to save myself and Bertram with the help of a benevolent god. By the time I died, only two others remained. Joanna is... Mike stammered out as tears began gathering in his eyes. I truly am sorry. It was a true nightmare, Jacob tried to console him. But I managed to help her in the end. She died with only the regret that she couldn't rejoin you and her children here on earth. Just know that she truly is in a better place now, not in a figurative way either. In the future I swear you will be able to speak with her again. Who or what killed her? Mike asked, not caring much about the last part of what Jacob said. Her death was caused by a maniac called William. He sought to slaughter everyone for his own gains. He glanced at Jake. An endeavor he failed in. I reckon you ended him, Jake. Everyone turned their gazes to the masked figure, many only truly noticing him now. Even with everyone wearing widely different outfits of questionable taste, Jake still stood out. His mask was making him more than a little conspicuous. Jake looked up at Jacob, promptly answering him. Yeah, but another god interfered and ended up saving him in the end. So he still lives, Jacob muttered. Turning his gaze away from Jake, he said, Everyone, please listen to me when I say we aren't safe even here. Earth has changed and is, in many ways, even more dangerous than the tutorials. We must stick together if we wish to make it. What the fuck are you on about? Someone yelled at the back, someone who hadn't known Jacob before the tutorials. Jacob wasn't offended, but answered honestly. While we struggled in the tutorials, all it was not human struggled on Earth. To underestimate any being after the system is foolish. Additionally, the trials of the tutorials are not over. We will... Jacob went on to explain details of the system and what he had learned while with the Holy Church. Slowly, Jacob began to win people over. His class and skills were surely not hurting his cause either. It affected everyone in the broken-down lobby, except for Jake. Their willingness to follow him had naturally only been strengthened by the harsh circumstances. Many felt lost and without purpose. They were afraid of the future, not sure what to do. For someone to stand up and give them direction was exactly what many needed. Winning over a few, the group thinking quickly took over. In the end, everyone simply followed when Jacob began leading them out of the broken building, 
and onto the street. Jake had decided to stick around a bit at the back alone, as he had gotten a prompt upon his return, making him aware he wasn't that pressed for time. The information Jacob gave out was the same Jake had been told about by the Viper earlier. A few details differed, that nothing of consequence. Another reason he had chosen to not leave right away was due to that quick exchange of looks with Jacob. He tried to search Jacob's eyes for any emotions, but found that his gaze was the same as before the tutorial, if a bit warier. He was relieved that he didn't appear to blame him for what had happened. However, it appeared it wasn't like that for everyone, as soon he was joined by Mike. Why are you wearing that stupid mask? he asked. It seemed that he found it disrespectful for Jake to hide beneath the mask. The question annoyed Jake more than it should have. That mask was the proof of his victory over the king of the forest, evidence of him beating the tutorial. Instead of giving a proper answer, he snapped back at him. Why are you so pathetically weak? Jake had done a quick round of identify while half listening to Jacob's speech, trying to get a feeling for the average levels. And it was disappointing. Incredibly so. While the levels varied, the average was only around fourteen or fifteen. Everyone had reached level ten, but many had only just done so. Jake could barely comprehend how that was even possible. Jacob had naturally been the second highest person except for himself, a fact that clearly gave him a lot of credibility for those able to identify him. What the fuck did you just say to me? Mike said, puffing up. He was a tall man, more than half a head taller than Jake. His muscles were far more prominent than Jake's. But he was truly weak, only level sixteen. Jake wasn't even sure if he had upgraded his class yet. I said you're weak, Jake snapped back. He was annoyed, not just at Mike, but everyone. Your equipment is shit. Your level is shit. What the fuck did you expect to accomplish after lazing about in the tutorial for two months? What the fuck had they been doing? He understood that not everyone was fit for fighting, but what about professions? And even if they weren't fighters, they should at least learn to protect themselves. His comment had clearly gotten the attention of more than just Mike, as many turned towards him. Their gazes were less than gentle, as he felt several people try and identify him. Useless attempts, as there was no way a bunch of F and the rare E-grade humans could pierce through the shroud of the primordial. What the fuck do you know, you little whelp? Mike yelled, his face red. I went to hell and back, you cocksucker. Watch your goddamn mouth, or I'll shut it for you. You are free to try, Jake said, staring into the eyes of the man. Mike turned pale as no doubt a shiver ran down his spine, but instead of listening to his instincts, he exacerbated the situation. Perhaps his own fear only made him angrier. His sorrow from learning about the death of his wife redirected straight at Jake, so he threw a punch. It never landed. Jake caught it easily. Its speed was pathetic in his eyes. The strength behind it was negligible. He caught it and pressed down on the fist in his hand. He felt it squash like a rotten apple as Mike screamed out in pain. If their conflict didn't have everyone's attention before, they sure had all eyes on them now. Jacob had been watching it from the beginning without interfering, a decision he now regretted as the situation had resulted in blood being spilled. Several yells sounded out as people reacted. Some drew their weapons, others prepared themselves to cast magic. In a split second, the situation had turned from just an interesting squabble to a possible fight. Please, everyone, Jacob yelled out. 
all his skills on full display as he tried to calm the agitated crowd that had some effect as everyone just seemed to have frozen. The only ones still moving were Mike, who held his bloody hand, and Jake, who stood indifferently staring down at the now kneeling man. This is a waste of time, Jake said after a bit. Taking out a yielding potion from his spatial storage, he put it down on the floor in front of Mike and turned to leave. He just wanted to get out of the situation he had found himself in. Jake, can I have just two seconds of your time? Jacob quickly asked, as he read the orchard's intent to leave. He really didn't want to, but Jake nevertheless agreed. Fine. Walking towards Jacob, people just moved out of the way. Jake could feel the looks of fear in the eyes of his former colleagues, the wariness and unwillingness to engage him. Many of the eyes belonged to people who had looked down on him or felt utterly indifferent towards him only a few months ago. In a way, it was oddly satisfying. Jacob took Jake a bit away from the others to talk. It likely didn't help as everyone had amplified hearing with increased stats, making it more of a gesture than anything else. Nevertheless, Jake appreciated having more space around them. You have grown strong, was the first thing he said, a slight smile on his lips. He didn't appear to care much for the still-crying man in the background who had yet to drink the potion. In actuality, Jacob was just happy Jake hadn't killed Mike. He had been afraid of that happening. His skills for reading people didn't work on Jake, and the last time he saw him he had led him into an ambush. Both men had feared the other blamed them for all the shit that had happened. Yeah, Jake simply said. You are leaving, right? Jacob asked. Yeah, I don't really fit here, Jake said, sighing, a statement Jacob couldn't really dispute. Just take care, man. That tutorial was a shithole, and I'm sorry about everything I did. I am happy to hear that you managed to beat it in the end. We all need to create our own place in this new world, our new homes. I don't know what your plans are, but I hope you find what you were looking for. Jacob smiled. I fucked up in the tutorial, big time. I nearly got you killed because of how much of an idiot I was. I hope that you forgive me, but I understand if you won't. Just know that I will always consider you a friend, even if you don't consider me one. Jacob knew the Holy Mother and Grand Master had both made it pretty clear that he should be cautious and distance himself from Jake, but that didn't mean Jacob was going to. Jake was his friend, and not even the mightiest god could change that. Their friendship was between him and Jake, and no one else. I, Jake began, but wasn't sure what to say. Jake really hadn't changed much at all, despite everything. He had always had a hard time with words, so instead he decided just to act. Here, take these. Healers are still a rarity, I assume, so these should come in handy. Nearly a hundred healing, stamina, and mana potions appeared as he took them out of his spatial storage. Jacob stared at them, unsure what to do for a moment. While Jake probably felt it was just a nice gesture, it was something entirely else for Jacob and those with sharper eyes who observed them. They saw Jake hand him a huge satchel filled with potions. They all remembered those bottles and the miraculous benefits they carried. All remembered how they had saved their lives. And now Jake had gifted them so many. Nobody knew where he'd gotten them from, and frankly didn't care. Jacob and Bertram were the only ones who knew that Jake had likely created them himself. Both of them had become privy to information not many others had, 
including knowledge of different professions. Alchemy was naturally one of them. I am sure these will come in handy, Jacob replied as he took the satchel. He also couldn't ignore the fact that Jacob summoned it all out of thin air, meaning he either had a pocket storage skill or perhaps even a spatial storage item. He is truly different from the rest of us, he thought. Here, take this in return, Jacob said, as he handed Jake a small book. I spent the last few weeks reading. I took down some notes that I hope may come in handy. It isn't much, but I truly don't have anything else of value to offer. Thanks, Jake said, depositing the small book in his spatial storage. I'm off. Jake felt a bit better after offloading some potions. Most of them were his older creations, but a few newer ones were also mixed in. Jake didn't need them, and it felt good to offload them. His only regret was losing the bottles, as those could be reused, but such a complaint was too petty even to consider. He began walking towards the exit as a roar shook the building. Everyone looked around, terrified, until the source became apparent. With a crash, one of the walls in the far back end was smashed through. Jake looked back and saw a huge lizard the size of a minivan. He didn't feel any sense of danger from it, and a quick identification only confirmed its weakness. Rock Eater Sorolisk, level 51. Of course, the reactions from the others in the room were vastly different. The only other person who could identify its level was Jacob, meaning all people saw were two question marks, the type of enemy that, in tutorials, always meant casualties. The lizard looked the room over, ignoring all the weak humans completely, until its eyes finally landed on the only one with a level high enough to make him worth hunting. Jacob. Before the beast even did anything, it froze in place. Its eyes widened with fear as it found itself unable to move. A gaze had locked onto it, that of an apex predator, or, more accurately, an apex hunter. Less than a second later, its head exploded as an arrow pierced through the room. The poor lizard was dead before it could even recognize how much it had fucked up by barging into that particular building, or that the human it couldn't even recognize the strength of was indeed far above its own. Stupid lizard, Jake muttered, as he walked out of the building. Everyone was just staring after him as he disappeared from sight. Jacob, finding himself left to pick up the pieces of the situation that had just happened, made the gawking populace focus on himself once more. We must leave this place. Find somewhere safe, or at least safer. Find others to make a group big and strong enough to defend ourselves. Then... Why did you let that guy go? Shouldn't he just protect us? Someone yelled out. Jacob looked at the person, trying to hide his genuine annoyance. His path is not ours, and none of you have any right to judge him. He has his own challenges and issues to deal with. Rather than just expecting someone to, you should instead think about how you can make someone want to protect you. We have nothing to offer someone on his level. Not yet, at least. Now let us set out, set out, and create our new haven in this new world. A bit away from the office building, a single man stood, having retreated the moment he appeared and before anyone had even noticed him. He stood on top of the building, looking down at them all exiting the old lobby. He saw the lizard get killed instantly. He smiled as he noticed the one who'd done it. Jake had been the first to teach him anything about combat in this new world, and had been a friend long before the tutorial. Casper saw the masked figure that was walking off turn his head towards him. 
They locked eyes, one with hollow black eyes and the other a piercing yellow gaze. They didn't need any words as they nodded at each other. Jake smiled beneath his mask, and Casper chuckled a bit to himself. Both hated social interactions, and everything that needed to be said was communicated through that nod. Casper looked towards the horizon as he set off, the emblem he had been given already making him aware of the closest meeting spot. Take care, mate, and let's meet again. Chapter 51 One Step Mile The once great city that Jake had called home for the last few years was nearly unrecognizable. The grand buildings were broken and in tatters, the streets dominated by the reclamation of Mother Nature. Jake simply walked down the street at an average pace. Grass and weeds, not asphalt, were beneath his feet. On the way, he saw several other groups of humans. Some tried to approach him, some observed him warily, and some hid and believed their gazes undetected. For those who tried to talk, a quick glance was usually enough for them to leave him be. Their inability to identify him, without a doubt, also played a role in their decision to avoid him, which was exactly what Jake wanted right now, to be alone. He was actually quite overwhelmed by the number of people he saw. One often forgot precisely how many people live in big cities. In the end, it got so bad that Jake had to get off the streets. A quick leap using badger jump took him up to the roof of a still-standing four-story apartment building. That also earned him quite a few glances. Jake needed time to think. His mind was a mess, only exacerbated by getting into a conflict first thing upon returning to Earth. He couldn't even blame Mike. He, too, hurt just as much as Jake, and lashing out was to be expected. They were both assholes, Jake appropriately more so, as he had hurt the man for no good reason. Looking towards the pretty blue sky, he thought of his next steps. What he usually did whenever he felt overwhelmed by something was drown himself in work or studying, an approach he decided to replicate once again. He wanted to find somewhere to settle down for a while, to do alchemy and practice and familiarize himself with all his upgraded and new skills. Without any clear direction, he, in the end, settled on just following the advice of the malefic viper, to find the territory that the king of the forest was supposed to occupy. Glancing about, he located the tallest building still standing. It even still had the radio tower on top. A quick climb later, mainly consisting of him just penetrating stone with his fingers while climbing, he found himself on top of the tower. From there he had quite the vantage point and could see the city in all of its decrepit glory. But more importantly, he could see beyond it. And what he saw wasn't what he expected. The city itself was as he remembered it, save for the destruction, but what lay beyond certainly wasn't. On one side he saw a giant lake, or maybe even an entire ocean. It had to be noted that there hadn't even been a beach within a hundred miles before. Besides the lake, on all other sides, there were now only vast plains. Looking about, he could actually see where the roads just suddenly cut off. It was like someone had just plopped down landmasses all around. Only one side looked somewhat normal. Jake could see the highway still continue outwards, and he could see it all looking relatively normal. There were quite a few things that stumped him, though. He didn't see a single car anywhere. The radio tower he was on didn't have any of the electronic components either. He still saw plenty of bicycles scattered about, but no cars, scooters, buses, or anything like that. Another thing he noticed was the vast distance he could see. 
His insanely high perception, coupled with the lack of air pollution, gave him quite the view. However, there was one more thing contributing. The curvature of the earth, or more accurately, the lack thereof. Oh, it was still there, somewhere. But from where Jake was, it was barely noticeable, if at all. He had to guess that he was a bit more than a hundred meters up currently, and he could easily see hundreds up to perhaps a thousand kilometers away. In the distance, he even saw a huge mountain range, one that certainly hadn't been there before. It all did begin to get a bit blurry at that distance, but the fact that he could see them was crazy enough. Of course, he was looking for something rather specific. Quest, claim the pylon of civilization. As the rightful owner, you may be the first to claim your pylon of civilization. As long as this quest is active, no one else can claim it. Objective, claim pylon of civilization. Duration, 71 hours, 2 minutes, 21 seconds. Remembering his original objective, he kept scouting around until he saw it. A huge forest. Naturally, due to the trees, he couldn't grasp its size, but it appeared huge at first glance. It was around 50 kilometers outside of the city or so, across a vast, flat plain. His quest also gave him the vague feeling that the pylon was that way. Having a target, he jumped down from the building once more. He didn't bother with the frightened glances as he landed on the ground and began sprinting forward. Right now, Egypt wanted out of the city and away from civilization. If the Viper was right, then that pylon should be worth claiming. The Viper had said that the nobility lord title allowed him to take control of it. Jake didn't have the faintest interest in creating a city, but chances were there would be some kind of reward associated with taking control of it anyway. It didn't take him more than ten minutes to reach the outskirts of the city. On the journey, he was only attacked once. By humans, even. A stupid accident, or a bunch of arguing idiots got scared and threw a couple of spells at him. He just ignored them as they missed, but his sheer speed was clearly enough to deter them and make them run away. The conflict he saw also wasn't just a one-off. Many different groups found themselves in conflict, none of which Jake gave a shit about as he ran by. It wasn't his job to be a mediator. Life would no longer be safe, and laws didn't really matter anymore. No way he was going to begin playing judge, jury, and executioner towards random people. Oh, but there were three men ganging up on a woman and two kids, so he accidentally loosed a splitting arrow, blowing off a few legs. Getting to the plains, he finally felt free. Enemies had been scarce within the city. If you ignored all the humans, that is. Only a few roamed about most of them weak. On these plains, however, he saw far more action. The first thing he encountered was a group of... cows. Yep, cows. Identifying some, he discovered that they were all on the F grade. Bovine Stomper, level 19. Jake smiled a bit. He didn't even notice it himself as he realized the silliness of cows being the first true challengers he would meet upon his return to Earth. He didn't count the stupid lizard. Not that he had any intention of fighting the things. It would be pointless. None of them would give him any experience worth noting, and from his kill on the lizard, he also saw no replacement for tutorial points. Gills just gave experience, and that was it. Evading the beasts, he finally came to the open ground. A vast, flat area in front of him with the rare creature here and there. It was the perfect opportunity to try something he had wanted to do ever since getting his tutorial rewards. Focusing on the skill, he took a step forward. 
It was like his vision zoomed in, the ground between where he wanted his foot to land and where he was shrunken. The moment his foot landed, he moved the distance. In a single step, he had traveled more than fifty meters. Not quite the distance promised by the name One Step Mile, but to Jake it was more than enough for now. It was just straight-up teleportation. In an instant, he had just worked space itself to travel forward. It was the kind of thing that he found inconceivable despite just doing it himself. He didn't understand how the skill worked at all behind the scenes. He could feel mana and stamina's flow for most of his other skills to at least get some grasp on what they did. It felt like he just took a standard step with one step mile, and space itself warped for him. He knew this had to be him somehow manipulating, or perhaps being assisted by the concept of space, a type of force or phenomenon he was far from understanding. It was like how he could bend time with moment of the primal hunter, or directly attack the soul with gaze of the apex hunter. He knew how to do it, but not how he did it. In other words, system stuff. Despite him not currently getting shed, he was nevertheless confident. He had time, time to understand it all. Looking at his consumption of resources, he was even more pleasantly surprised. It had only taken a trivial amount of stamina to use, not a single point of mana either. Of course, he needed more tests and experiments, something the fifty or so kilometers to the forest were perfect for. His travel went rather uneventfully, except for the events he caused himself. He had engaged a few beasts to try the skill out in combat, which was an excellent thing, as it was hard as hell to use. Currently, he had to really focus to use it, which was fine and all when just traveling, but not so much when fighting. The important part, however, was that it did work in combat, though it was a bit iffy to use. One thing was that he actually had to take steps in order for it to activate, raise his leg, focus on where to go, and then put said foot down again, which, again, was totally not an issue when running or walking, but a bit problematic when fighting. The first problem with that was having to actually be on the ground, as Jake often jumped and dodged a lot, resulting in him being airborne much of the time. The second problem was that he had to make the stepping motion, which he couldn't do while crouching. The third being the fact that the step had to be forward and not backward. In other words, he couldn't backpedal with it. The last problem he solved rather quickly, though. The skill required him to see where he was going, and since he could see 360 degrees around himself with his sphere, he could use that as a guide. Admittedly, it did look quite funny when he effectively moonwalked through space. To sum it up, the skill was fantastic, but hard to use at maximum efficiency. It would take a long time to practice to use it well in combat, but once more, Jake had time. It would be a good distraction while not doing alchemy, at least. In the end, it only took him a few hours to travel through the plains, far slower than if he just ran normally, but the practice was worthwhile. It also helped him get a better understanding of the power of enemies on Earth currently. To his surprise, the stupid lizard was actually quite strong compared to everything else he saw. Most weren't even level twenty-five yet, and those that were often led their flock of fellow beasts. He had kind of expected them all to be a lot stronger. It was like he had returned to the outer zone of the tutorial once more. But thinking on it a bit more, it did make sense in some ways. The other humans he'd met were all pathetically weak. Only Jacob and Bertram were worth mentioning. He'd seen only a handful of other people in the city that had reached level twenty-five in their race. It was just him being an outlier. 
Perhaps it was a good idea to lay low for a while. Besides, he still had one comfort. A bit weird to think of as a comfort, he confessed internally. He had feared for a second that he couldn't get any proper challenges. But then he remembered. The other inner zones, or danger zones, areas led by degrades, and which had many late-stage E-grades within, were just ripe for the taking, fish in a barrel waiting for him to grow in power and strike. Of course, he didn't have infinite time, but unless the system planned for all humans on Earth to be wiped out, he should have some time. And according to the Viper, other places would exist too, with many degrades. Jake couldn't help but imagine what could be found in the deepest oceans, the darkest forests, or the highest mountains. Shaking his head, he looked into the forest he stood in front of. The trees were tall, and many of them even the same type as had been in the tutorial. Stepping into the forest, he felt like he had returned to the tutorial once more. He even instinctually kept an eye out for hidden lockboxes. It was nice. Jake heard the chirping of birds, and saw them soon after. They were low-level, only in the single digits. They looked normal, just like before the system, which made sense, as they hadn't had any evolutions yet. Of course, he recognized they could still likely kill an average pre-system human. The size wasn't the determining factor for how powerful something was, after all. Just take himself compared to the stupid lizard. It was bigger and stronger looking, and yet it had died to a single normal arrow in the head. The birds ignored him as he walked beneath them, perhaps sensing his power, or maybe just not interested in fighting. It would explain their low levels. Either way, he was able to walk without any interruptions. Most beasts got out of his way, seemingly afraid of him, as the rafters had been during the tutorial. There were some stupid animals that attacked him anyway, such as a small swarm of wasps that were barely level ten, and some overly ambitious fire-skewing squirrel thing called a maki. The wasps died by just looking at them hard with gaze of the apex hunter, while the level ten squirrel died to a solid kick. After walking for an hour, he had to say that the forest was indeed huge, far more extensive than the plains he'd been on before. Yet he wasn't afraid of being unable to locate his target. He could already feel it. The mana in the air got denser the further he went. But not just denser. It started to become less passive, as if something was influencing it. Every once in a while he felt the mana change again. Not a change of affinity, but more like it became another person's or beast's mana for a few moments. But only a very minor, almost unnoticeable part of it. Without the sagacity of the malefic viper's skill, he doubted he would even be able to feel it. Another hour later, and he was close. The level of beasts he encountered was also growing. Before, there were barely any above level twenty-five. Now he was lucky, or perhaps unlucky, to see one below thirty. Whatever drew him there clearly also attracted the beasts. Finally, his sphere picked up an open area ahead. A few seconds later, his vision caught up as he saw what was going on. Floating in the middle of the small clearing was a transparent crystal. It was about the size of a human being, and emanated a powerful aura of mana. Around it lay hundreds of dead beasts, all of varying species. Only one remained alive. Savage Mole Lord, level 61. Thought it was a bear. It was huge and bulky, with long, sharp claws. More noticeable, it had Lord in its name. Feeling its aura, Jake also recognized this was the thing that kept influencing the crystal that he assumed was a pylon of civilization. 
It tried to control it, but kept failing, likely because the system had reserved it for Jake already. At the same time as Jake saw it, it too saw him. But to his surprise, it didn't attack him. It just stared at him with its tiny eyes. The moment they made eye contact, it even stumbled back slightly. It was afraid. But Jake didn't have any intention of letting it go. It was another lord that had tried to claim what he felt was rightfully his. He didn't know if what it did to the pylon would negatively affect him either, so he moved. Using one-step mile, he appeared right before it. Now it no longer hesitated as it attacked him. It was the strongest being he had seen on Earth so far, by quite a margin. It was both fast and strong for its level. Sadly, it had met a being that had thrived even more than itself in this new world. Its claws were stopped dead by a small sword. At the same time, a dagger plunged into its chest, releasing deadly toxins. It tried to fight back, but quickly it was stabbed again until it was smashed to the ground by a blast of pure mana. A final dagger strike dug its way through its skull, ending its life. Jake dismissed his weapons as he let the mole's corpse join all the others already lying there. He ignored them all for now as he went to the crystal. He felt its mana as it appeared to beckon him. Placing his hand on it, he was met with a message. Congratulations on discovering a pylon of civilization. Lord title requirements met. Do you wish to claim this pylon? Without thinking about it further, he accepted. A decision he would both rejoice and curse at in the future. Chapter 52 Pylon of Civilization You have claimed a pylon of civilization. By controlling the pylon, you have claimed ownership over the surrounding area. Your aura seeps into the area itself, marking it as your own. While within your own domain, all mana regeneration is significantly increased. Protect it, expand it, and reclaim the planet that was once yours. May you lead your domain and your world through the new age it has entered. Bonuses for all citizens within your domain. Increases all experience earned while within the domain by a minor amount for all non-combat-related activities. Congratulations for being the first human to claim a pylon of civilization. Your nobility title has been upgraded to nobility, rural. May you lead your world to glory. Jake read the messages and very quickly understood why the viper had wanted him to claim it. He felt his mana drain into the crystal as if it was a piece of equipment. He instantly felt a connection with it. At the same time, the pylon began giving out a slightly different aura. It was like when the mole tried to claim it, only it hadn't been allowed to do it properly. It was rightfully Jake's, and he was happy he had gotten here rather quickly, as it would suck to lose out on rewards because of his own tardiness. While he'd still had seventy-two hours to claim it before other creatures could, there was a chance someone else could claim a pylon elsewhere before him. Looking at the rewards he gained for being first, he nodded in satisfaction. While he couldn't exactly feel the increased mana regeneration as his mana pool was pretty much full, it would, without a doubt, be nice while grinding alchemy. The experience gain was even better. As with most other system-related things, it didn't give Jake an indicator for how much it increased it, only the word minor. For all he knew, it could be 10% or 0.00001%, though either way, it was a welcome bonus. That it only worked on non-combat-related activities didn't bother him either, unless it counted alchemy as combat-related. It shouldn't, right? 
One part he didn't like was the whole ruler-of-your-domain vibe. All he wanted was a nice place to settle down for a while. He still had no intentions whatsoever to found some great city. Also, this was a goddamn forest. Looking on further, he saw that his nobility title had indeed been updated. Title earned, nobility, earl, nobility, earl, a lord that was the first to claim a pylon of civilization on earth, becoming an earl, allows you to control a pylon of civilization, grants access to certain events and opportunities exclusive to nobles, opens many new paths to power. It was another thing he didn't really care that much for currently, though in some ways it was pretty cool to call himself an earl. It was also an interesting observation that it adopted the British nobility system, or maybe it was just the translation. However, he was relatively sure that he had skipped a few nobility ranks by being the first to make a city, something that would hopefully prove an advantage in due time. The part about granting access to certain events and opportunities was also noteworthy. But once more, time would prove if these things were beneficial or not. The last part about new paths was something he had seen many other times already. Never had he seen it be so immediate, however, as he looked at his next message. Profession change available. Principal city lord of Earth. The very first human to found a city on Earth. Now on a path to create a haven for the survivors in the new world. A home to defend. City lord is a profession focused on managing and guiding a city to glory. Grant skills related to management, economics, leadership, and control, as well as paths to protect your new dominion. However, be warned that should the city fall, you will not escape unscathed. Stat bonuses per level, plus 18 free points. Warning, skills pertaining to the prodigious alchemist of the Malefic Viper profession may be lost or changed upon becoming a principal city lord of Earth. How about no, Jake thought. Everything about it just made him nope right the fuck out. Sometimes the system really misfired, offering stuff he would never for the life of him even consider. He was also pretty damn sure this wasn't something the Malefic Viper had advertised. Chances were that if he somehow suffered a mental episode and changed profession, he would lose all skills with of the Malefic Viper in them, as well as generally everything to do with alchemy, which is to say every goddamn skill he had gained so far. Four ancient skills, one epic, and many rare skills and below would be lost. So unless this new profession threw Jake a stack of legendary or whatever was above legendary skills, it would be a massive downgrade. Even the stats were lower, if actually pretty good. It was a bit interesting that it just gave three points, and it even gave quite a lot of them. He could totally see why someone focused on combat would take this profession to keep increasing their more combat-related stats. Currently, Jake was spread a bit wide with his stats. He was surprisingly durable for being an archer, and his high wisdom was also out of the ordinary. Nevertheless, he always found uses for the stats. Perception had been a bit of a downer for a long time, but his new gaze of the apex hunter had changed that drastically. So, yeah, Jake gave a polite no thanks to the system for the wonderful opportunity to change profession and close down all his system menus and then he just stood there for a while. This was as far as he had planned for now. He had gained control of the area, and could feel the mana slowly spread out from the pylon. Looking around, he didn't see much of interest or a nice place to settle down. Besides, the stench of blood and the many corpses made the entire clearing quite unsanitary. Looking at the crystal that was even larger than himself, he thought for a bit, 
before he wrapped his arms around it. It resisted at first, completely immovable, but with a bit of mana injected, it was just deactivated. The mana in the area stopped spreading as the pylon stopped working. He could feel through his connection with it that he had turned it off. With it no longer spreading his mana, he also felt the atmospheric mana return to normal. As for the crystal itself, it was actually relatively light. Scratch that, it just straight up didn't weigh anything. It was like lifting a balloon. It wasn't just his stats, either. The thing just didn't actually have any weight at all. Yet he knew that only he could move it, and that, when activated, it was borderline immovable. His next goal was to find a nice place to settle down and chill with his new cauldrons. Despite the pylon not weighing anything, it was still quite unhandy, but with it not weighing anything, he could just wrap a few strings of mana around it and move it around with that. He did try and fail to put it into his spatial storage. Walking through the forest, the several meters tall pylon floated leisurely behind him. Not a single beast got in his way, but instead scurried off whenever they saw him. It was quite nice, actually, as he didn't feel like fighting with a crystal pylon in tow and all. He didn't know exactly what he was looking for. It was like when he was out shopping for an apartment. He always had that kind of I'll-know-it-when-I-see-it mentality, despite him being fully aware that he still did have quite a few base requirements. For the apartment, he wanted thick walls and good noise insulation. He liked bright rooms and good natural lighting, and, of course, having good Internet available was also a must. Now, however, his requirements were a bit different. First of all, he wanted a source of water. Not because he really needed to drink much anymore, but because of alchemy. He could purify water and use it to craft things, so, of course, he wanted to do that. A cave within a short distance would also be preferable. Of the ingredients Jake used, mushrooms and moss were at the top of the list. He didn't know if some had already appeared on Earth, but if not, he would have to grow them. Space for a small garden would also be nice. If he had to be honest, he didn't feel like he was that picky. Water, cave, and open space. It shouldn't be that hard. Yet he ended up wandering around for quite a few hours, with his version of wandering being slightly faster than a car on a country road. But in the end, he found it. It was in a valley, very noticeable from a long distance, but the geography was nearly perfect. Within the valley was a vast pond, tens of meters across, caused by a waterfall cascading down from the cliffs above. The valley had only a single real entrance, which was really lovely, too. Of course, you could just enter it from the cliffs above, but it still felt like it provided some cover. The best part of it all, however, was the caves. Yes, caves, plural. Two of them, with their entrances less than a kilometer apart. Jake hadn't explored either much, but they both went downwards, and he couldn't see any end in sight. Maybe they even connected. It also got even better when he entered one, his sense of the malefic viper on full display. He got several responses from within, which meant that there had to be useful alchemical ingredients within. He couldn't be happier, as he found a place to plop the crystal down. He did think of placing it in one of the caves, or maybe even living in a cave, but decided against it. He wanted to keep the crystal close, and he would prefer to live under the sun than in a cave. Besides, the valley was still filled with trees offering some cover. Ultimately, he didn't want to leave the pylon out in the open. He didn't know if others could steal it or mess with it somehow. He wasn't afraid of the thing breaking, as it appeared damn near unbreakable, but he was worried that someone could wrest control of it away. 
Taking out his Omni tool, the fifth item he bought as a tutorial reward, he used it for the first time. In its basic form, it was just a small ball of liquid... something. But when he injected mana and willed a shovel, it transformed into one. A big one. The head of the thing was larger than a snow plow. With it in hand, he began digging a large hole, his powerful stats on full display as he performed feats that would put large excavators to shame. It didn't take him long to make a five-meter-deep hole, just wide enough for the crystal to enter. Lowering it down, he saw that there was still a bit over two meters up to ground level, which should be good enough. Through his string of mana, he willed the pylon to activate once more. It hummed to life and began hovering slightly off the ground inside the hole. Far from enough to lift it out, however. Perfect. He tried once more to move the pylon, pulling on and pushing it, but he couldn't even move it an inch. Once more, perfect. He had been afraid that maybe water would corrode the ground and make it flow away or something, but that didn't appear to be a danger at all. Filling up the hole once more, he nodded in satisfaction. While it wasn't the best attempt at hiding it, it sure as hell was better than just leaving it out in the open. He also planned on generally settling down where it was buried, making it even easier to protect it. Of course, now he had another problem. What to do? He could build shelter, but it felt like a waste of time. Under the canopy of the trees, he found enough cover. Not like the cold or warmth bothered him either. First things first, though, he thought, as he quickly took off his now filthy clothes. Putting them in his spatial storage, he walked to the shore of the pond, stark naked. With a deep breath, he took a step forward and dropped straight down into the water. The pond was four or five meters deep in most places. For the first time in a long time, Jake enjoyed just drifting about in the water without any time pressure on him. There was no tutorial timer, no limited time within a time-dilated chamber, no immediate goal he had to chase as fast as possible. A few hours passed like that. Jake was just floating there and enjoying the sensation. He saw a few small eels in his sphere but didn't bother them, and they didn't bother him either. Jake knew he needed direction, a new goal. If not, he would just drift into the abyss that was his own mind or laze about indefinitely. His overall goal was still to grow stronger, to see exactly how far he could go in this new system, see all that it had to offer him, to one day even leave Earth and explore the rest of the multiverse, to one day stand at the pinnacle, to see sights unimaginable, experience different cultures, and meet countless new foes and friends, to fight a goddamn dragon. So he began to formulate a plan. His first goal was complete now that he had a base of operations. It was an optimal place to practice his alchemy, more experience, higher mana regeneration, and many possible sources of ingredients nearby. His alchemist of the Malefic Viper was currently at level 63, and his ambitious hunter at 83. His first goal would be to at least narrow that gap considerably, at least get the level 70 skill in alchemy. He knew that he would have to go out and forage for ingredients and other things of value, so a few class levels were inevitable. From what the Viper had said, Jake also knew that simply practicing skills in a class would grant small amounts of experience, which he also planned to do as his advanced archery was more than due for an upgrade. He had felt he was close even before fighting the great white stag, and it was high time to get it done. He got out of the pond with a somewhat vague plan and began putting on some clothes after giving them a good wash. Once more he had forgotten to take off the mask, 
finding it a bit eerie how he didn't even notice that he had it on normally. Almost as weird as how the hell it stuck to his head without anything visibly fastening it. After getting fully dressed, he sat down, legs crossed, and took out his Altmark cauldron of supreme simplicity. He still had a lot of ingredients left from the challenge dungeon. They wouldn't last that long if he went hard grinding, but they would last a while. Placing his hands on the cauldron, he activated his alchemical flame as he filled the cauldron with water. He immersed himself in the complicated methodologies, runes, and patterns required for making just a few simple common rarity mana potions with a slight smile. He would never forget the trial of myriad poisons, more accurately the barrel he'd been in during it, the intricacy of those runes, the overwhelming complexity behind making such a concoction. He didn't understand jack shit. It was proof of how much he had yet to learn. And learn he would. With those thoughts, he began his first brewing in quite a while. Intermission 6. Mateo, one of two. Three years before the initiation began, Mateo got out of the shower after his workout and got something quick to eat. It was just another Sunday night, like any other, where he had to get up early and get ready for work. But today was a special day, as today was a day he would claim his big promotion. He looked out at the penthouse that he had lived in for the last two months, feeling it was all a bit hollow. His only real possession in the entire apartment was a piano, which he had inherited from his grandfather. After he put on his suit, he packed his briefcase with all the necessities he would need for the day's work, and rode the elevator down to the ground floor. His employer had insisted many times for him to get a driver, but Matteo had refused time and time again. He preferred to do things himself. Riding the car that was worth more than the average yearly income of several households, he soon found himself in the industrial zone, where the boss had set up their current base of operations, a furniture manufacturer that was more than suitable. M, the doorman said, with a small greeting, Bosses inside. Matteo just nodded and entered the building, crossing the floor and the running machinery, and headed into the back room. There he found his boss and a few other members sitting around a table while watching tennis on the television. Why do they moan when they hit the ball? It is all about controlling your breathing, and if it happens to annoy your opponent, it's just a bonus, Matteo answered upon entering. Ah, my boy, just in time, said one of the older members. I had the last job was finished ahead of schedule. Great work, as always. He didn't disappoint, said a rough voice, as a figure entered from a side room. The others instantly turned off the TV and bowed towards the boss. Yeah, Matteo confirmed, nodding to the boss. Let's move, the boss said, as he motioned for the others to follow. Matteo followed along without question. It wasn't time yet and everything was planned. With Dale, you drive? As expected. They got into the armored car and set course for the docks. They had to meet their clients there for the handover. Mateo was a natural inclusion in such volatile situations. Usually nothing went wrong, but the boss had caught on that something was up and wanted him present. He had been a part of the business and family since he was a kid, and the boss trusted him unconditionally. In an old warehouse at the docks, dozens of men were already present. They opened up unmarked containers and took out the boxes, stacking them in the corner. 
a few of the containers were left closed, as they didn't want issues with the merchandise before the buyers arrived. They had just checked that it was in good condition. The armored car rode in through the opened gates, which closed behind them. Five men got out, with Matteo being the first to do so, and the boss next. Bronco! Good to see you, old friend! yelled the seller at the five arriving men. Tequila, the boss replied with a nod. No issues with this shipment. A few rowdy ones, but they just need to be trained a bit better, and I'm sure they will turn into big earners. As for the other goods, no issues there. The business had recently expanded quite a bit into the entertainment industry and needed some employees for that, so they came to this man. He was already their supplier for many other tools of their trade and offered to provide. Sadly, the last time a container of merchandise had been damaged during transport, they had to dump the entire cargo container into the ocean, inventory included. Forty-eight young women and girls thrown overboard and drowned due to one person in the container having tuberculosis. Mateo wasn't the most morally upstanding person, but that had left a sour taste in his mouth. Even more so when his boss accepted Dekila's reimbursement and went ahead with another delivery. So today would be the day where he took over. Guns and drugs were enough anyway. There was no reason to expand into human trafficking aside from the boss's greed. The negotiations continued as expected as they stood there. Mateo had already given the signal during the ride, and soon he felt his smartwatch buzz with the return signal. Thirty seconds. Walking up to the boss, he asked to inspect the guns. He naturally got the go-ahead, as none of them were loaded by default, but that wasn't why he needed to go over there. He leaned over the table, as if looking at the guns, as he got the second buzz. Boss? Yeah? What? Before he could speak, he had a round hole in his forehead. Blood and brain matter splattered everywhere. The other side reacted as expected, and Matteo vaulted over the table just in time as several gunshots went past him. The flashbang he had dropped at his feet blew up, blinding all of them who had turned towards him, and at that moment two cars smashed the gate in. A dozen men got out, guns blazing, as they began lighting up the entire warehouse. Tequila's men managed to return fire, but Matteo's initial move had left many of them blinded and confused. Matteo himself stayed behind the table as he prepared himself for the next stage. The gunfire soon died down after he heard his partner call him out. Their main competitor, a man Matteo had made a deal with to further his own means. Smiling slightly at what would come next, he looked at his handgun and counted his bullets. It should be enough. He yelled out as he stood up, seeing five guns already trained at him. His smile only broadened. Perhaps he had bitten off a bit more than he could chew. Yet he moved. The first gunshot took a life before his enemies reacted properly. The second shot took another as they pulled their triggers, and a third shot killed yet another man before their return fire came. Matteo had already ducked once more as he remembered their positions. He threw another grenade over the table as he felt it be riddled with bullets, glad the tequila had always insisted on having these large steel tables. And then he heard it. Screams from within the containers. The men brought by the competitor, on edge, weren't as clear-headed or experienced as Matteo himself, so they didn't notice. They didn't think. They just fired. It took a full second before their leader yelled for them to stop, but it was too late. Matteo saw red as he got up again. 
He fired his gun, taking down four more before he was out of bullets. He drew his knife and stabbed the first one in the throat, and the second went down with a quick stab to the chest. Mateo felt a few bullets hit him from behind. Most were blocked by his vest, but one took him in the leg. Taking a gurgling soldier as a hostage, he used him as a shield, and even used his own gun to return fire. The police arrived ten minutes later, finding dozens of corpses within the warehouse, and two containers with a few more corpses, and several women who were crying and screaming for help. The Day of the Integration of the 93rd Universe A man in black walked through the foyer and took the elevator up. Weirdly enough, he walked in the blind angles of all the cameras and kept his head low. Four minutes later, he exited the building, one briefcase lighter. Fifteen minutes after that, the building's top floor went up in flames, a supposedly famous mafia boss still inside. It was just another killing in a long string of organized crime, all committed by an assailant identified simply as M. Mateo sat in another penthouse that he didn't feel was his own, his only possession still the old piano. He mentally checked off another mark as he began his preparations for the next target. That was when the initiation came. He found himself in the room. He had asked for a gun, but found that he could at most get a profession that could lead him to make guns himself later on. Useless. So Mateo picked Light Warrior as it suited him somewhat. He was more than confident in his knife work. After that, he went to a grand hall of sorts, surrounded by thousands of other humans. He had to specify humans, as he soon realized there were beings in this tutorial that weren't humans. They called themselves servants to the Mistress of Shadows, the sponsor who ran the tutorial, a god known as Umbra. Most of the servants looked elven, but some were creatures of pure shadows, dark elementals that were there to guide the new initiates. In the Grand Hall at the beginning they were met with an explanation from the organizer. Welcome, forerunners of the 93rd universe. Welcome to the tutorial where you will be given the opportunity to rise to power and discover your own path. The first of your choices will come right after this. There are two other halls like this, each with its own purpose. The hall we are in currently is called the Hall of Blades and is for those who wish to walk the path of combat. The hole to the right is the hole of creation, and to the left is the hole of guides. Creation is for those who wish to craft and focus on their professions, and the last is for those who wish to guide others. I would advise you all not to solely focus on one path. If you already possess a profession, get a class, and get a profession within a reasonable time if you have a class. Do not fret if you feel like you have chosen wrong. Just be aware of the path you wish to walk when you reach the first evolution at twenty-five. This tutorial is sponsored and organized by the Dark Mistress, and if you perform well, you may even qualify to receive her favor. After that, the organizer began explaining more general info, before sending them all on their way to different halls and such. There was plenty of panic and people doubting the entire situation, but the appearance of dark elementals and elves was enough to convince most this wasn't some trick. Besides, it soon appeared that many of the types who had been brought there were not simple. Most of them were hardened criminals, killers, soldiers, or assassins like Mateo. There were also more regular folk that Mateo assumed were there to make up for numbers. In total, he saw there were nine thousand initiates in the tutorial. Of them, he surprisingly enough counted more than a hundred children who were all taken aside to be given some special elixir of some kind. 
Many of the ones who went to the hole of guides were those intending to help care for them. Some others didn't look very fit for combat either. Old people, people who were clearly civilians, pregnant women, the ones who appeared more mentally unstable. These people tended to go towards the hole of creation or the hole of guides. Mateo looked up at the high ceiling in contemplation. This wasn't the first time he had been tossed into an entirely different world. When he was nine, he'd seen a rival gang member kill his brother. That had also happened to be the first time he took a life himself. With resolve, he began his journey to power. The days quickly began passing as everyone fell into a groove. Mateo practiced a bit, but spent most of his first week within the Shadow Trials. The Shadow Trials were where combat took place, a type of dimension that they were told was a dungeon. In there, there were floors with progressively more formidable enemies. Every tenth level had a boss, and if they managed to beat all fifty floors, they could fight the final boss. But it was made pretty clear from the beginning that this final boss was more or less impossible to reach, much less beat. Mateo entered the trial for the first time less than an hour after the whole introduction sequence. He alone entered the trials and exited hours later with more than ten levels. This continued as he hunted down creatures one after another, honing his craft. He also discovered why they had all been taken here, what they all had in common. Every individual in the tutorial had an affinity for dark mana, and most of the training and material provided played into this fact. An assassin like Mateo had already gained several skills related to dark mana. When Mateo evolved his class, he was still relatively low on the level ladder. The reason for this was simple. He had yet to pick a profession. He had earned a private chamber due to his high performance, and that was where the servant came to discuss his lack of profession with him. A profession is highly advised due to the levels in race and piano. So he got a piano and a profession that very day, a simple profession called novice musician that offered only four stat points total and didn't appear extraordinary in any way. But it gave race levels and Matteo enjoyed it. It was his type of meditation before actually gaining the meditation skill. His leveling speed kept being insane, only increasing further as he also got levels in his profession. A month then, they had their first evaluations, the leaderboard for the top ten, with Matteo solidly winning. Leaderboard, Shadow Trials, 1st, M, 19th floor, 2nd, NBS, 17th floor, 3rd, HJ, 17th floor, 4th, GAS, 16th floor, 5th, KIL, 16th floor, 6th, PJH, 16th floor, 7th, V, 16th floor, 8th, YH, 16th floor, 9th, CT, 15th floor, 10th, KL, 15th floor. The first boss on floor 10 was only level 25, but it progressed fast after that, with the average enemy on the 19th floor around level 50. Every person in the top 10 did the trials solo, as they only got harder if you entered with more people. You also had to share points from the kills, making it even less attractive. After the evaluation, Mateo was offered even more power, a blessing from a subordinate god of Umbra, increasing his agility by 5% and giving him access to even better skills. He also officially joined the Quarter Shadows and became a follower, though that wasn't the term they used. They called them members instead of followers, as the entire structure of the court was more akin to a business than a religion. Mateo didn't know if others had also been offered a blessing, and frankly, he didn't care. 
He just kept pushing forward. Intermission 6. Matteo, 2 of 2. Around the one-month mark, Matteo got a weapon he had been waiting for. This ready? he asked as he went up to K.L., one of the other rankers. Of course, the materials you provided were more than enough, K.L. said. I should have a second one ready by the end of tomorrow. Remember, you only one? He handed him the handgun. Dark handgun of Umbra, uncommon. A gun made by a talented gunsmith from the 93rd universe during the tutorial. Can fire dark bullet, uncommon, when infused with dark mana. Does more damage when striking from the shadows. Requirements, level 25 plus in any humanoid race. K.L. was the best gunsmith in the tutorial, and had even gained a lesser blessing from one of Umbra's subordinate gods, granting him a skill to infuse his creations with the gods' records. The gun was frankly better than he had expected, and was exactly what he needed. The next day, he indeed got his second gun. After that, he only sped up his progress. His killing speed got faster as he picked up skills related to his new weapons. The god that had blessed him even had skills related to guns, making it all the better. He kept climbing the floors, fighting day after day. His only reprieve was when he meditated or practiced the piano. Through his profession, he had gained a few skills that helped him in combat, too. Through sound, he could warp the perception of his foes and manipulate sound to muffle himself, or even create supersonic attacks to throw his enemy off. Never once did he drop below first place in the rankings. He knew there were other training grounds, too, but this one was the most important. He even knew there were optional dungeons to do, and while Matteo had done one of them, he didn't believe it was worth the plus-one-in-all stats title to do it. While the dungeons did have combat, they were more focused on traps or different kinds of trials. As the days progressed and they approached the tutorial's end, the organizer and servants recruited the most influential tutorial attendees. It was apparent to him that this tutorial was partly to prepare them for the new world and partly for the Court of Shadows to recruit members. Many of the Hall of Guides members had gained priest-like classes and prepared to recruit even more members upon their return to Earth. The Hall of Creation was skilled in crafting tools of the trade for the fighters. Nearly everything revolved around dark mana, which was fine, as everyone possessed it. It also explained why many of them carried classes revolving around assassination, with great damage, stealth, and mobility over durability. They were an army that would return to Earth and begin to establish their dominance. Without a doubt, one of many groups nurtured by a religious faction. The Quarter Shadows made no secret of this, but made them very aware of who they would contend with. Matteo planned on standing at the helm of that group and proving his worth. He had failed to become the boss in the old world, but he could do it now. Sure, he wouldn't be the highest-ranking member of the court, but he found it more acceptable to have unparalleled power be the dividing line. That was why he showed up to the final ranking battles with assurance and conviction to win and claim the leader's title. All who had any interest in becoming the leader got a quest, and deciding who was to be the leader would be done through a tournament. It was the final day of the tutorial, and nearly every single attendee was there. Looking at the top ten, he noted down those who were participating. Leaderboard, Shadow Trials, 1st, M, 39th floor, 2nd, NBS, 37th floor, 3rd, HJ, 36th floor, 4th, KT, 35th floor, 6th, UA, 
32nd floor, 9th, KM, 32nd floor. KL, the gunsmith that had now claimed the 7th spot, didn't participate, while the 5th place person didn't either. Mateo only saw the tournament as having one other real contender, the woman known as NBS. Nadia was her name, a ruthless woman that Mateo had known of even before the system, a corporate spy and sometimes assassin who specialized in social hacking and information gathering. She was also a mean lass with a rifle with more than her share of kills, which was precisely the kind of magic she had now, a large black rifle infused with shadow energy. She had gained the rifle itself as a reward for passing one of the many challenge dungeons and had acquired the legacy of a dead veteran of the Court of Shadows. Rumors had it the rifle was ancient rarity, if not legendary. Matteo had wanted it, but as with everything bound to a legacy, it was soul-bound. A shame. His own equipment was also decent, with mainly uncommon and rare gear, but a powerful rifle would be welcome. Well, it wasn't all bad, as they were essentially teammates, and it wasn't like she was squandering it. The battle took place in an arena that looked like an old, worn-down city in some post-apocalypse earth. It was the semi-final, but was viewed by many as the actual final. The arena itself didn't particularly favor any of the fighters, and even if it did, who were they to complain? The truly strong could come out on top, even in an unfavorable situation. They dropped into the arena, and the thirty-minute timer began. Both Mateo and Nadja immediately faded into the shadows as they began hunting each other. Weaving through the ruined cityscape, Mateo blended in with the environment. Within the shade, he became practically invisible. His movements gave off only the faintest of sounds, and even his manner, heat, and other detectable signature were hidden. At the same time, Nadja had found a position on the thirty-fourth floor of a decrepit building. The rooftop was suicide, as she would be too easily detected, and there wasn't enough shade to keep her hidden. The battle took place at dusk, with only sparse rays of sunlight lighting up the city. Nadja activated a skill called Eyes of the Spectre, an upgraded version of her archer's eye that she'd gotten upon her class evolution. Walls and other physical obstacles quickly faded away in her sight as the city laid bare before her. Her left eye, the only one she had used the skill with, began bleeding a few seconds after using it. Her toughness simply wasn't high enough to sustain a skill for an extended period, but it had been enough. Like a silent wind, a beam of dark mana tore across the battlefield. Matteo felt it coming with his danger sense skill, and barely managed to avoid having his head blown off and losing the match. He still got a nasty wound on his shoulder, but it was nothing he couldn't deal with. More importantly, he now had her position. His bait had worked. Sprinting faster than before, dark mana swirled around him as he sped up. Getting to the building, he didn't stop, but began running up the side of it. He dodged another four shots on the way up. Just as he thought he had her, the entire side of the building suddenly imploded into something akin to a black hole. Grenades? Shit! He was forced off the building by the unexpected attack, but instead of dropping to the ground, he shot out at Tether and swung around the building, rolling into one of the lower floors. Pointing his guns upwards, he released a blast of dark mana up towards Nadja's position. She returned fire, but it quickly became apparent that she was outgunned. Mateo slowly made his way up to her as she tried to retreat slowly. She threw grenades and used different skills, but it was all in vain. 
With a final shadow volt, Vaseo crossed the distance and landed a cut on her chest with his knife. Her body dissolved into shadows as four copies ran away in different directions. Sadly for her, he had a perception skill of his own to counter these kinds of techniques. He quickly chased down the real version where they were thrown into a melee. Well, he wanted to be in melee, while Nadia wanted to create some distance. She released a blast of mana and threw some knives, but Matteo deflected them as he went in for the kill. A few moments later, she fell dead to the floor. The world around them dissolved. M moves on to the final, where he will face C.T. The match will begin in five minutes. The organizer nodded at him with approval as Matteo looked over at a frowning Nadja. Human, level 51. Good fight. You're strong. It will be a pleasure working with you in the future, Matteo said to the woman. Just be sure to win the final, Nadja said with disappointment in her voice. The matches in the tournament were done through some kind of magical simulation. They technically were fighting themselves, but it was some kind of projection of their souls and not their actual physical bodies. It still tired you out mentally, but it didn't drain any resources or cause any bodily harm. While the Court of Shadows was considered a rather ruthless organization, it would just be utter stupidity to kill off most of their new talents. Death was a very real thing in the tutorial, as he saw that 1,400 people had died in their tutorial so far the vast majority of them within the Trial of Shadows. Mateo nodded at Nadja with a reaffirming smile. He understood that she wasn't content with losing and that she at least wanted to have lost to the champion. They were all prideful people, or at least he assumed them to be, because the person he would face in the final was a bit uncharacteristic compared to the other top rankers. C.T. was a relatively mild-mannered young man. He looked to be in his mid-twenties, and didn't have any significantly distinguishable features. However, what made him stand out was how he fought and behaved during the tutorial. Firstly, he had chosen the Hall of Guides and not the Hall of Blades like every other ranker participating in the tournament. The other rankers in the top ten who had chosen not to participate mainly focused on things other than combat. C.T. appeared to have an affinity for children as he had taken responsibility for them as he helped both them and their parents. In fact, Mateo saw him as a very valuable and caring person. He believed he would be a great help in the new world. Secondly, his fighting method was not like the others. Most rankers used magical versions of pre-system weapons, guns, rifles, knives, things they were familiar with to begin with. They'd all been fighters before the system, after all. C.T. wasn't, it appeared. He was a caster who used some kind of lightning magic, mixed with dark mana, of course. Third, the man had spent a lot of time on the dungeons Matteo himself avoided. He still climbed the floors in the Trial of Shadows, but he did so far less than the other rankers. Looking over at the man, he saw him surrounded by children who cheered for him as they prepared to watch the match. Human, level 49. He was a few levels below Nadja and quite a few levels below himself. Matteo had reached level 55, outleveling everyone else by quite a margin. In fact, Many had believed this entire tournament to be unnecessary with Matteo so far ahead. The seeding of the tournament had also been off. Matteo had defeated the second, third, and sixth place on the rankings on his way to the final, with C.T. only beating the ninth place. The match had been rather one-sided, which was expected with the level difference and noticeable power difference based on how many floors they could each do. 
C.D. had just shot a few lightning bolts, and the other side had surrendered. But Matteo would not underestimate him. He was an outsider who had risen to power with conviction, surrounded by murderers, assassins, and hardened warriors. He had managed to help and be a gathering point for the less combat-oriented survivors, the children and women who needed someone to lean on. He had never seen the man flustered. Their arena would be a lot more straightforward. It would be a giant coliseum with pillars placed around the battlefield. Mateo wasn't very familiar with the other's fighting style, but he had been a ranged fighter so far. His spells were fast and deadly, but his attack speed was low, and he hadn't shown any potent mobility skills yet. The finals began with the organizer's proclamation. This battle will determine the nominal leader of the Court of Shadows on Earth. In other words, the judge. Of course, there will be support, but it would be limited due to restrictions in place. Let the fight begin, and may you forever walk in the shadows. They both touched their respective orbs as their projections appeared in the arena, a hundred or so meters between them. The two men stared at each other for a bit before Matteo spoke. Give up. His words were straightforward. Matteo didn't see the other man winning in any way. C.T. was outleveled and, frankly, outclassed, and there was nothing he had shown that could— I was about to say the same, C.T. answered in a calm voice, keeping his hands in his pockets, before adding, We each have our reasons for this fight. What is yours? Matteo stared at the man for a bit. What did he want? Well, of course, that answer was simple. I want power, same as everyone else. Only strength can bring influence in this world, and I will lead the court to that. I will lead us to be a true standout force on earth, to make our members respected, and to make even a whisper of our name be met with shivers. Maybe you are more fit to be the leader, the other man said, with a sigh. I just want to protect those I care about. Do you need to be the leader to do that? Protection of significant others will, of course, be prioritized whenever possible. Matteo would have just fought, usually, but he knew that C.T. held a lot of influence with the less combat-oriented members of the court. It was best to stay on the best of terms with him. I guess I don't really need to be the leader, C.T. said, as he looked up with a smirk. But at the same time, I would prefer to be in a situation where I can guarantee it. Besides, it's only fitting for the strongest to be in charge. Isn't that one of the creeds of Umbra? I see, Mateo said, understanding as he smiled back. Who may the best man win? He didn't hesitate as he attacked, planning to end it quickly. C.T. kept smiling as he made his move, too. Four orbs of black lightning condensed in midair as they began floating around him, crackling with energy. At the same time, he looked towards Matteo, his orb releasing a bolt. Matteo easily sidestepped the attack and scoffed a bit internally. The attack held power, but the opponent was inexperienced in fighting other humans. The lightning caster kept throwing bolts from the orbs, making Matteo slow down, but he ultimately failed to land a single one. Predictable. Matteo's shadow vaulted closer as the four orbs circled C.T., protecting him. When he got within fifty meters, he pulled out his two guns and returned fire. Dark bullets flew through the air and encountered a dark barrier of mana protecting the caster. It appeared to slightly crack with every shot, but it was quickly repaired again. Fine, Matteo thought as he pointed his gun towards the caster and used one of his skills designed for this exact scenario. Disruptive bullet. Uncommon. 
The bullet flew forth and poured straight through the barrier of mana, but C.T. still managed to lean to the side and avoid it. He appeared to have quite the reaction time for Caster. Another barrage of bullets put the Caster on the defensive, protected by the orbs and the barrier. Sometimes two orbs moved together to create a whip of lightning, while at other times all four came together to create magical circles in the air that released different kinds of lightning magic. Mateo was fine with just learning what the man was capable of, but he was disappointed. The power behind the magic was indeed great, but alas, it wasn't enough. Dark infusion, rare. He activated his boosting skill, which increased his agility, strength, and intelligence by twenty percent, then charged. Dark mana swirled around him, partly obscuring his figure. Basic shadow vault of Umbra, uncommon. With another vault he came within ten meters. A single bolt of lightning hit Mateo, but he was more than capable of taking the blow as long as it allowed him to close in. His two daggers had now replaced the guns as he dove in. The first slash tore the barrier apart. The next approached the man's neck, stopping just before he slid it. What the fuck are you doing? Mateo asked, with a bit of anger in his voice. He wasn't blind and had obviously noticed. From start to end, C.T. hadn't moved a single step. He hadn't even taken his damn hands out of his pockets. He had just summoned those four orbs and stood there. That had been enough to win against the ninth-place ranker, but Mateo just found it insulting. Hush, it has you the same, C.T. answered with a chuckle. Get serious, Mateo insisted. Um, I am serious, he said, as he leaned forward into the dagger, electrocuting Mateo. The crackling dark lightning around the dagger simply phased into the caster. Not? He quickly pulled back as he saw C.T. finally take a hand out of his pocket. He raised it towards the air and opened his palm. The sky above the arena darkened as dark clouds appeared out of nowhere. What appeared to be a thousand bolts of lightning struck down onto the lifted hand just as the caster summoned a black metal staff out of thin air. Mateo stood wide-eyed at the display of power, but soon noticed the clouds above had already calmed down after shooting lightning into his staff, and now only hung there threateningly. I sought power to protect my family, C.T. said. My wife, my unborn child, my brother, and my parents. I will find them after this, and I want the court to help me protect them. Besides, I found out I am quite good at this. He pointed the staff towards M. Dark lightning bolt, uncommon. Mateo barely managed to dodge as the side of the Colosseum wall behind him exploded. He knew he had to get serious as he closed in once more, hoping to finish off the man. Based on how the dagger had faded into him and how he had avoided the disruptive bullet, he reckoned mana-based attacks would work. He coated his weapon in dark mana. Shadow vaulting forward, he slashed down with the dagger, but C.T. blocked it, much to the surprise of Matteo. It felt like his dagger was drawn to the metal staff as electricity wormed its way up the veins in his arm. He felt superior in both skills and strength, yet he kept encountering the staff every time he swung. It was a frustrating experience. C.T. kept his casual smile, but his eyes were clearly focused as he fought the tutorial's top ranker. But he had yet to take a single step. One hand was still in his pocket. Mateo's eyes sharpened as he pushed in further, his attacks getting more aggressive. The dark lightning coursing through his body from the staff was annoying but manageable. Still, he knew he couldn't keep up the status quo. 
With one hand, he stabbed down with the blade, while he twirled the other around to a backhanded grasp. Dark mana began swirling around both weapons as his entire body sped up. Dark Tempest Strike, rare. A small tornado made up of black daggers appeared around him and tore into CT's mana barrier. It quickly began cracking. But Mateo wasn't done yet. Domain of Shadows, epic. A suppressive field appeared around him that bathed the entire area in shadows. The mana barrier was whittled down in seconds, and for the first time CT's eyes shot open as he took the other hand out of his pocket to grab the staff with both. He blocked most of the blows, but ended up getting kicked by Mateo. He flew back and smashed into the wall, coughing up a mouthful of blood. He was, without a doubt, far less durable than Mateo himself, or any other melee fighter. Mateo was already charging towards the man, who got up quickly and swung his staff, releasing a storm of lightning that forced the charging assassin to leap back. Tim, you're good, CT said with a chuckle as he spat out a mouthful of blood, then looked up with the same smirk as before. Finally gonna get serious, Mateo asked, the domain of shadows dominating the surroundings. CT laughed a bit as he breathed in. My turn. The four orbs revolving around him all this time turned far darker than before and began crackling with ever-increasing dark lightning. Without any warning, three of the orbs entered his body while the last one entered his staff. An aura spread throughout the arena, and Mateo felt his domain be suppressed as C.T. spoke three simple words. Ascension of Tenlusis. Above, the dark clouds churned with life once more. C.T.'s body burned with dark lightning as the entire projection seemed to shake, and the onlookers outside observed with terror. Even the organizer was shocked beyond anything an S-grade entity like her should ever be. Tenlusis a powerful god that had died during the Third Era, said to have only left very scarce legacies that he gave to select powerful friends. He was an arrogant god who had slain hundreds of gods with his dark lightning and had been one of the Court of Shadows' leaders. The god's powers were domineering and powerful towards both the opponent and the user. It was said that the legacy would drive the user insane unless they had the mental resilience to suppress it. But to cultivate that innate resistance was borderline impossible, unless done since birth. Even then, it wasn't something you could just do. Yet this E-grade mortal appeared unaffected by it. They had already confirmed that he didn't possess a bloodline upon first entering the tutorial. So how? Why would the Dark Mistress make such a decision? To give such power? Inside the arena, C.T. began his counterattack. His entire body was filled with untold power as he released massive blasts of lightning, one after another. Charging towards Mateo, the former top assassin could barely defend as he got smashed in the side with a staff. Mateo tried to close some distance, as it was obvious the power-up skill CT had used was temporary. It indeed was, but CT still had enough time to finish the fight. Mateo didn't even have time to raise his daggers to form a proper defense, before the next strike arrived. Thunder Shadow Vault of Tenlusis, Ancient. CT turned into dark lightning as he soared through the body of Mateo, frying him from the inside. He appeared behind him as he swung his staff, smashing it into Mateo's head. The blow cracked his skull, and with a follow-up blow coming milliseconds later, shattered it completely, ending the battle. 
Before he even fell to the ground, completely dead, CT's power-up skill ended. He also fell to his knees, utterly spent. The winner of the battle is CT, the organizers said, still a bit confused about the entire situation, but she still had a job to do. As the winner, he has received the Lord title and will be named Judge of the First Court in the 93rd Universe, and together you shall claim a pylon of civilization to establish our foothold upon your return to Earth. All the other fighters looked at C.T. with awe as he let go of the orb that had projected his soul into the arena. The man just smiled and let out a tired sigh, walking over to the man he had just fought. Thanks for the match, maid. It makes me feel a lot better to know there are great people like you around me when we return. Because, damn, you're good. He raised his hand to shake Mateo's. Mateo looked at the man that had beaten him and just smiled. It had been a long time since he lost to someone and wasn't all bad. It will be my pleasure. You won because you were stronger today. Just don't start slacking now or I will depose you. He took C.T.'s hand. Of course, but for now you will take the second-in-command spot, C.T. said with a laugh. Everyone around them, including the organizer, looked on with approval. It didn't appear like internal strife would be an issue, at least not immediately. For now, the second-in-command said. Them's Mateo, by the way. No last name. I never had one. Pleasure to meet you, Mateo, C.T. said. I'm Caleb Thane. Chapter 53 The Times They Are A-Changin' Time marched onward unforgivingly. Soon, two weeks had passed since the conclusion of the tutorial. Earth was in chaos as the newly returned humans scrambled to find a foothold. Factions quickly formed, though they were more just collections of people who happened to be in the same area when they returned. Many had thought the nightmare over upon exiting the tutorial, naively believing that humanity could return to some semblance of normalcy. Sadly for them, reality proved the exact opposite. Earth was far more dangerous than nearly all the tutorials. In Jake's tutorial, the beasts had never really attacked people in the outer zone. They'd been incredibly passive and easily avoided most of the time. It was only in the beginning that people really died to the environment and not their fellow humans. Upon their return, they found Earth to be far less friendly. Beasts and monsters roamed about without any restrictions. An area filled with weak, single-digit monsters could easily be invaded by one several times everything else's level. The only solace was that higher-leveled beasts and monsters tended to not bother with lower-leveled things, like the lizard that had attacked Jake and his co-workers. It had only cared about the ones with a level at least a bit close to its own. It wasn't as if the human threat was gone either. With the collapse of social order nearly everywhere, some unsavory individuals chose to take advantage. The powerful became tyrants and were as monstrous as the actual monsters stalking about. Yet one place was tranquil. Not a single beast was nearby, not a single drop of blood anywhere. There was only a beautiful waterfall landing in a serene pond. On the shore sat a young man with a cauldron, a transparent fire beneath it, and a strong smell in the air. For the vast majority of humanity, the last two weeks had, without a doubt, been a constant stream of hectic moments of people trying to survive. For Jake, however, it had been the most relaxing time since before the tutorial. Without any real external pressure, he had managed to achieve a lot. 
Many of the things he had put off during the tutorial due to time constraints, he now had time to do, the first of which was to practice potion-making. He had only been able to make inferior rarity potions of all three types for a long time now, but had held off on improving and making common rarity ones. Now, however, he had time. In only two weeks, he had broken through and made common rarity potions of the health and mana type, all getting very close with the stamina ones. Looking at the two new brews he had made, they indeed were a lot more potent than before. Mana Potion, Common, restores 4,347 mana when consumed. Health Potion, Common, restores 2,824 health when consumed. First of all, the amount of resources they restored was, of course, higher. In fact, the separator between inferior and common rarity was twofold. First of all, there was a qualitative improvement in the crafting process. Common rarity was harder and required far more skill to make. Of course, better ingredients were also required, something Jake had more than plenty of. He had never used the common versions of the lavender flowers that were used in his recipes, a.k.a. he had a lot of them still sitting around in his spatial storage. Besides the change in the crafting process, the second requirement was the required amount of resources restored. Common rarity potions restored a minimum of 2,500 in either health, stamina, or mana. Even if Jake made a potion with the improved crafting method that restored less, it would just turn out to be inferior. Interestingly enough, this didn't mean that inferior potions couldn't restore more than 2,500 resources. In fact, Jake's best inferior rarity mana potion to date had restored 2,600 mana. Of course, it remained inferior due to the lesser crafting method, and he was beginning to feel the cap approaching with that one. As for the requirement for potions to be uncommon rarity, he didn't even know yet. He remembered that inferior potions needed to restore a minimum of 25 resources. From 25 to 2,500 was a hundredfold increase, so if that pattern continued, uncommon rarity would have to restore 250,000 points. Yeah, he wasn't sure about that one. What mattered was that he was improving. His very first common rarity mana potion had been made on the first day and restored 2,600 mana. The health potion came on the sixth day, restoring 2,541 for the first craft. Both of those numbers had now clearly increased even more, especially for the mana potions. Not that he actually needed it. He had plenty of potions to spare, as he didn't even have to use one that often. His mask of the fallen king carried the insane properties of giving him 25% more maximum mana and, at the same time, increasing his mana regeneration. The pylon of civilization only increased that regeneration even more within his own domain. Lastly, his palette of the Malefic Viper now made all potions restore even more resources after it had been upgraded to Ancient Rarity. The increase was only around 10 to 20 percent, but everything added up in the long run. Of course, he also meditated once in a while to ponder on different things, which only helped him keep his mana usage at an easily manageable level. All in all, everything was going swimmingly. Now, on the day that marked two weeks since humanity's return, he was working on making his first common rarity stamina potion, the hardest type for him to make by quite a bit. But it did go a lot easier than he had first feared. His experience with internal energy through his limit break ability, as well as just general practice, did wonders. Finally, he also couldn't discredit the massive benefits from his cauldron.
It just made everything far, far easier than with the mixing bowl he'd used before. Overall, he used less mana, as there wasn't much resistance, and he could better feel the mana during the crafting process. Coupled with his increased mana control from sagacity of the Malefic Viper helping further, it ultimately resulted in his success that day. You have successfully crafted Stamina Potion, Common. A new kind of creation has been made. Bonus experience earned. Ding! Profession Prodigious Alchemist of the Malefic Viper has reached level 69. Stat points allocated. Plus 5 free points. Ding! Race Human, E, has reached level 76. Stat points allocated. Plus 5 free points. Seeing his profession level up, he only had one response to the level he had reached. Nice. The stamina potions looked just like their inferior version, but Identify made the difference between the two very clear. Stamina potion, common, restores 2,511 stamina when consumed. With all his stats from his many titles and levels, he still only had 8,200 stamina. That meant that with Palette of the Malefic Viper's bonus counted in, a single stamina potion could restore a bit more than a third of his total stamina pool. Smiling to himself, he bottled the potions, packed everything up, and threw it in his spatial storage. It was time for the next item on his agenda. Walking to the edge of the pond, he didn't stop when his foot touched the water. An invisible shimmer of mana covered his feet as he walked on water. Walking to the middle of the pond, he sat down in meditation, still on the surface of the water. Next, he conjured tens of tendrils of mana. Each of them reached six or so meters to the bottom of the lake, where many large stones lay, ones he had either found or placed there previously. His improvements showed once more, as he didn't even need to wrap the tendrils around the rocks. Merely touching them was enough for his mana to exert its influence. It even drained less mana than forcefully lifting it by wrapping his strings of mana around the stone. Out of the water rose four stones, each one easily weighing more than his own body. Small beads of sweat appeared on his face after a few minutes as he shuffled the stones around. After nearly ten minutes, he dropped one of the stones and, in the chaos, lost control of his mana. All of the stones fell into the pond once more, scaring the small eels that observed the weird human above. Simultaneously, he failed to control the mana keeping him on top of the water, resulting in him following the rocks. It wasn't the first time that had happened. Jake's routine was pretty much set every single day. Speaking of days, they were still a thing. One would think that with the earth growing to a substantially larger size, the day-night cycle would be affected. Those who thought that would be wrong, as the system clearly didn't care about making sense in that department. There was also still only one sun and one moon. Neither appeared larger or smaller, which probably meant that both had actually gotten bigger. Not that he could confirm it, as he wasn't actually sure exactly how big either had been before the system. He had found a lot of enjoyment in the new sky, though. Without light pollution and with his incredibly high perception, his eyes may as well have been telescopes. He could see way further and even spot details on the moon, though he was pretty sure he saw movements one time. That had to be nothing, right? Anyway, the cosmos was truly a beautiful thing. Jake did kind of expect to see some wondrous supernatural sights, a space octopus maybe. So far he had only found disappointment. Space octopuses had to be a thing. Maybe there was one on the moon. 
This was how Jake had spent his day since the tutorial ended. Alchemy, mana practice, and stargazing. So far, he had only slept a single time. A dreamless night, thankfully. He had successfully managed to distract himself with work. He got a level in alchemy nearly every second day, which was pretty good according to his own standards. His class hadn't experienced any progress, though, as he hadn't even taken out his bow since leaving the city. He did find time to walk around with one step mile and practice that a bit. His current dream was to somehow manage to use it while on the water. Currently, he hadn't been able to. His feet couldn't quite find purchase on the surface, but he firmly believed it possible. It was surprising that not a single beast had stumbled upon him yet. He hadn't even seen any check him out. The birds were still around, and he saw a few other animals, such as the eels, but none of them were above level ten, most of them still being level zero. He had no clue how that was even possible. Two weeks might feel like a long time without any human contact, but one had to remember that Dake was pretty skilled at being antisocial. He was a bit lonely, and he knew that his solitude couldn't continue in perpetuity. One day humans would stumble upon his little valley, a day that came sooner than he expected. Jacob walked on the pavement that had once been a highway, Bertram on his right and a tall woman carrying a bow on his left. The past two weeks had been far more eventful for him than Jake. This first period was his greatest opportunity to establish himself in this new world, one he happily jumped at. Behind him was not just his former colleagues, but thousands of people. Jacob had gone from building to building to recruit, and in the end rounded up a massive following. At first he was met with skepticism, but his skills, that bordered on mental manipulation, as well as his high level, allowed things to proceed way more smoothly than he had first feared. As his group of followers grew, it only became easier to convince others. Bertram was also a huge asset in recruiting people. While Jacob wasn't a fighter, the same couldn't be said about his old bodyguard. He'd become E-grade in the tutorial, and his class and levels had only grown further since then. His skills were awe-inspiring. Training from the Grand Master, his powerful special class, and his own talent all came together. This meant that when the group was attacked by a large rodent-like creature at level 54, he had managed to slay it quite easily alone. When he fought, his blade and entire body were enveloped in light. He moved swiftly, every swing of his sword shearing his foe with beams of light. His defensive abilities were even more impressive, as the rodent had failed to pierce the shining armor that enveloped his body. Its claws even broke upon hitting his shield. A powerful man was enough to inspire many in this turbulent age. Of the groups they encountered, the strongest was led by the woman now walking on Jacob's left. Standing at a height only slightly lower than Bertram, with bursting muscles on her forearms, she looked more than a little intimidating. The bow she carried was, without a doubt, not just for show. They had seen her use it several times, firing off powerful arrows that exploded in flames whenever they hit a foe. Between her and Bertram, Jacob didn't know who would win, and ultimately it didn't matter, for she was one of his people. Maria was her name. With a class at level 61 and profession at 24, she was the second highest overall level in the group, just behind Jacob. Jacob, who himself had already gained several levels. His class had reached level 66, having grown nearly a whole level a day. With a level from training with the Holy Church, he had gained 16 levels since he died. 
Once more he had, of course, gained a powerful skill, one at ancient rarity even. Augur's wings of liberation, ancient. Blessed be those touched by the feathers of the augur. Allows the augur of hope to summon wings of light that periodically drop feathers. Anyone who absorbs a feather restores a small amount of mana and stamina and receives a temporary increase to the maximum value of both. May your wings bring liberation to all. Adds a medium bonus to the augur's wings of liberation's effect based on wisdom and willpower. From the description, it didn't appear overly powerful and one might even doubt its rating. But when put on display, it all became much clearer. Giant wings of light would spread out behind him, each of them more than ten meters long as they extended. Tens of feathers fell every second. After a few minutes the feathers would dissolve, but it was more than enough for people to pick them up and absorb them. This skill did wonders in keeping the group healthy and moving. On top of that, there was also one other aspect to the skill, one not mentioned in the description. The sheer intimidation factor of them. Seeing a human sprout giant radiant wings was enough for many to fall in line or look at him with reverence. Maria wasn't one of those people, as she had chosen to follow him just because she didn't have any interest in leadership herself. Jacob was pretty sure that she had her own agenda by staying with him, likely related to the god that had blessed her. With her choice to follow him, the ones who'd followed her prior did the same. With so many in tow, their next objective was to find somewhere and establish themselves, but not before recruiting more. As Jacob saw the city in the distance, they didn't feel happiness or anticipation as they had expected, but instead a terrible feeling, for what they saw was only mere outskirts. The rest of the city was covered by a giant barrier that a select few recognized as the same ones marking the inner zones in their tutorials. Jacob gazed at it, but knew it wasn't time yet. They would train, and they would wait, because others were also coming. The augur wasn't the only follower the Holy Church had recruited during the tutorials. Far from it. Chapter 54 Monsters As he ran through the forest, telling the others to try and keep up, Hank truly regretted convincing them all to go camping that week. But how could he possibly have known that something as world-shattering as the initiation to some goddamn multiverse could happen? The only lucky thing was that at least they had all entered the same tutorial. They had entered the tutorial with nine people. Hank, his wife, his two kids, his sister, and her husband and kids, and a long-time mutual friend of theirs. Out of the tutorial walked only four. Hank, the family friend Miranda, and his two kids. Now that they liked being called kids anymore... His boy, Mark, was nineteen, and his daughter, Louise, was twenty-two. In the tutorial, they had stuck together initially, but had ended up splitting due to circumstances out of their own control. They'd been forced into these trials in groups of five. Due to their class choices, Hank and his wife had chosen to split up, his wife joining his sister and her family. None of them had returned from the first trial. Now it was just these four thrown back to earth into the middle of a forest that had clearly been altered significantly from before. They had been only a few hundred meters from the road upon the initiation, but now no such road was to be found anywhere. Instead, they found themselves walking through a seemingly endless forest for a bit over two weeks. They managed to fight off the beasts, most of them not being above level twenty-four. Hank, with his trusty axe in hand, was easily able to handle them. 
His son Mark was a healer who was able to fix any immediate issues. It had gone well at first, with the four of them surviving without losing anyone. Until today. A beast had appeared, one that Hank, even with his race of the whole thirty-one, couldn't identify. Oakwood Tiger, Wevel Unknown. He became unequivocally sure that any beast he couldn't identify was far above his ability to handle from the tutorial. He was powerless against the tiger, which was a weird mix of wood and flesh, yet it hadn't simply killed them. They'd met the tiger nearly three hours ago. They tried to run at first, hoping it would ignore them like most other high-level beasts, but this one was out for blood. It had cut them off with incredible speed and attacked them, showing that it clearly was also strong. Hank felt like his arms were about to be torn off from every casual swipe of its barbed wooden claws. Yet whenever Hank thought he would die, the beast simply switched target and attacked someone else. It only did small wounds, clearly enjoying itself. It was just playing with them. Hank was furious, but no matter what he did, it proved useless. In the end, their only course of action had just been to run. Louise was also an evolved caster, but her spells had done even less to the beast than his own axe. Miranda wasn't a fighter at all, having focused on her profession instead of class during the tutorial. He wasn't entirely clear on her profession, but it was some kind of social type. It did, however, give her some insight into mana and an intuition skill, a skill that had guided their direction of fleeing for the past few hours. Needless to say, Hank was beginning to doubt it. They ran desperately, encountering several weaker beasts on the way, resulting in even more injuries. Mark was already dangerously low on mana, and Hank could barely keep his legs moving with his nearly depleted stamina. But suddenly, something changed. The tiger appeared to be unsettled by something, unsettled enough that it decided to stop playing around and finish off its prey. The wooden bark covering his body spit out sharp vines as it went to finish off Hank. Somehow the man managed to avoid having his throat ripped out as he ducked and blocked with his axe. Despite his efforts, he was still sent to the ground, a large gash on the side of his face where it had nicked him. Far from done, the beast jumped at him once more. He scrambled and once more narrowly blocked, but this time he wasn't lucky enough to only receive a gash. His entire right arm was torn to shreds as his axe and the claw both smashed into it, sending him flying through the air into a nearby tree. Hank heard his son yell out and his daughter firing spells at the beast. His vision was waning, but still clear enough to see a bolt of electricity hit the creature from the side. It did little more than inflict a small burn mark, yet it was enough to piss off the beast and make it switch target. Miranda also tried to help, but her attacks didn't even register for the beast. His son was standing beside his sister, right in the crosshairs of the charging tiger. Hank's eyes turned red as he saw his only remaining family members about to be torn apart. His wife had died without him even having a body to bury. His friends in the tutorial had suffered the same fate. The final promise he'd made to his wife before parting for the last time was to protect their children, and he would be damned if he didn't do everything he could. He had learned a bit about controlling stamina through his skills, enough to slightly increase his striking power. Today, he went further as he channeled all he could into his one good arm. Instantly, he felt it fill with power unlike ever before. Everything poured into a throwing skill that was also his only rare skill. Throwing the axe, the pent-up stamina in his arm was too much. 
His entire arm erupted into a cloud of bloody mist. The pain was unimaginable, but he remained clear-headed enough to see the axe fly true and strike the tiger mid-charge. The axe hit the beast straight in its midsection, embedding itself deeply. The impact also made the tiger stumble, missing its charge as it tumbled to the ground and slid into a tree. Hank had at first felt relief, but it quickly turned to despair as the tiger turned its eyes to him. Two vines sprang from its back, pulled out the axe and threw it on the ground. A small trickle of blood dripped from the wound. Halfway between Hank and his children, the tiger began a new charge, this time to finish off the man who had wounded it. Hank knew it would barely matter either way. His eyes were heavy and his entire body numb and cold. Blood pulled beneath him from the shoulder where an arm had once been attached. His only hope was that his sacrifice was enough to buy the others a bit of time to escape. He could see the tiger was anxious for some reason, in a rush. He hoped it would leave after finishing him. A naive hope, perhaps, but it was all he had to grasp on to. Two vines sharpened at their ends flew towards him from the tiger, one for his head, the other his heart. Unable to move, he closed his eyes. Yet the blow never came. Opening his eyes once more, he saw the vines less than a meter from his face, frozen in midair, slightly shaking. He saw the tiger trembling for some reason as its eyes focused on something off to the side. Hank followed its gaze and saw a figure slowly walking towards them. With each step, it was as if the figure traveled several meters. A mask covered the face of the new arrival, but the build made him identifiably male. He didn't appear to carry any weapons. It was clear he didn't need one. Two glowing eyes pierced through the mask, focusing on the tiger. Hank felt a cold shiver run down his spine when he saw them. It reminded him of the same eyes the tiger had turned on him just as it was about to kill him, only much more intense. Just as the person was only a few meters away, whatever froze the tiger stopped. The vines nearly at Hank's eyes retracted, but instead of switching target to the new arrival, they merged back into the tiger. And with that, the beast that had chased them for hours turned tail and ran. It didn't get far, however. With a movement that defied the laws of physics, the person cut off the tiger. It stopped abruptly and tried to get around him, but was instead met with a bone-white dagger that looked like a fang. Hank was a bit surprised, as he hadn't seen where the weapon came from, but the beast was even more so as the dagger swung down, aiming for its skull. The vines sprang up once more, trying to block, but like when Hank had tried to block in vain earlier, the beast's struggles were also in vain. The vines were simply pushed down, unable to pierce the armor of its soon-to-be killer. Seconds later, the tiger that the group of four had believed to be their death instead met its own demise, completely dominated by whomever or whatever the masked individual was. Hank wasn't sure if he should be relieved or afraid. The tiger might be dead, but what about this new arrival? Was he human? Some kind of creature brought by the system? Whatever the case, he was far more powerful than the tiger, making all thoughts of escape disperse. As he was in thought, the person disappeared once more, only to appear right in front of Hank. The middle-aged man tried to shy back in fright, but he could not move with his injuries. Had he come to finish him off, or... Thinking the worst, he was instead presented with a bottle containing a very familiar red liquid, a healing potion.
Drink, the figure said in a distinctly male voice, one that sounded significantly younger than Hank would have suspected. Sadly for Hank, he was unable even to lift his remaining arm. It had been badly mangled by the tiger earlier, while his second arm was entirely missing. He looked up at the piercing yellow eyes. They resembled a beast more than a human, making Hank believe even more that whatever he was dealing with wasn't a fellow man. A few seconds of awkwardness followed as the bottle was presented to the man who couldn't move to accept it. The masked man just stood there with an extended arm. Luckily, the situation was saved as Miranda rushed over. Then me, she said, as she swiped the potion from the young man's hand. Hank could still barely open his mouth, allowing the woman to pour the liquid down his throat. Instantly, he felt a rush of vital energy enter his body. It was like when his son had healed him, but far, far more intense. He felt the stump where his arm had once been starting to itch and wriggle as a new arm slowly began growing out. His mangled arm started healing nearly instantly, and even the gash on his face disappeared. He had consumed a healing potion before, but never one this powerful. In only seconds, he went from on the brink of death to relatively healthy. The only problem remaining was the arm that would take a while to regenerate, but even that shouldn't even take an hour from the still overflowing vital energy in his body. He checked his status and, to his surprise, saw that his health pool of around 1800 was entirely full. He even felt some of the remnant energy slowly fizzle out within his body, dispersing as it could not restore any more health. Thank you, he mumbled, his mouth now able to move correctly. His stamina was still dangerously low, and he was exhausted, but he couldn't quite relax yet. He had to figure out the situation he and his family now found themselves in. By now, Hank's kids had made their way over and hid behind their father, who had managed to stand up. Mark seemed especially interested, as his skills allowed him insight into the potion's power. Yes, thanks for the help, mister, Miranda asked their masked savior, injecting herself into the conversation. Not sure that matters, the masked man said, after looking like he was stuck in thought for a bit. What matters is who you all are and why you are here. Miranda, who had by now taken the lead for their group, answered, I apologize. My name is Miranda. This is Hank and his two children, Mark and Louise. We were chased by that beast and made it here on accident while trying to survive. I am sorry if we intruded where we weren't allowed. Hank could see the sweat drip down her neck as she tried to defend them. Even in the tutorial, she'd been the one who handled discussions and negotiations with other survivors. He was more than happy to let her do that again. Oh, okay, the masked man answered, not looking like he intended to say anything more. If I may, how powerful was that monster? Miranda asked, the question the entire family was interested in. Just fifty-nine, but it had quite high toughness for one of its level, he said, his voice indicating that he liked that kind of conversation way more. Miranda, Hank, and the two others were taken aback by the high level of the beast, but even more so at it being described as just fifty-nine. All of them had tried to identify the masked man, and they had all failed, getting just a single question mark in return. All of it only added to their already existing assumption that the one in front of them wasn't human, and if the masked man was, they couldn't explain how that was possible. They had seen strong individuals before. They'd even known a woman in their tutorial who was incredibly strong, 
but not to the level of being able to disregard a beast at level 59, not even close. Yet he appeared human, apart from the eyes. His entire body was covered in armor, but everything was humanoid. Miranda tried to probe to figure out if he was indeed human. I see. We must again thank you for saving our lives. That was the most powerful beast any of us have ever seen, even counting the Chitoryu. I am sure you must have encountered stronger ones during yours. Yeah, but not out in the open, at least, the masked savior answered, willing to say quite a few more words than before. Ones around that level and above tended to be holed up in dungeons. Did you encounter many like it in your tutorial? She kept probing, wanting to make sure if he had experienced a tutorial. When I went looking for them, yeah. Must have been tough to reach their level. As humans, we weren't exactly positioned at the top of the food chain, Miranda continued, this time looking for confirmation of the man's humanity. Doesn't mean we couldn't claim the top anyway, he said, clearly affirming that he was human like the rest of them. Silence hung in the air for a while, before Miranda finally asked, Would it be possible for us to stay here for a while, at least to get back in fighting condition? All of them tensed up as they awaited the answer from the man in front of them. Fine, just don't disturb me when I work or practice. And that was how Jake's city got its first four citizens. Chapter 55 Living with the Consequences That day had been like any other to Jake. Alchemy, meditation, skill testing, and mana practice. Everything had been tranquil until he suddenly got a weird feeling one he quickly identified as coming from the manna in the air itself. Something had entered the area permeated with traces of his manna by the pylon of civilization. In the back of his mind, he had a vague feeling of the direction of the intruder, or intruders. He felt several responses, but he was unsure of how many or how powerful they were. He hesitated a few moments before he stopped his manna practice and decided to go towards the disturbance. Whatever it was, he would have to deal with it eventually. Besides, his danger sense and intuition didn't ring out in warning even as he used one step mile towards the intruders. There he found four humans under attack, one middle-aged man, two teenagers or people in their early twenties, and a woman around thirty. Their attacker was a tiger that actually reminded him of the king of the forest. The bark-like skin was very similar, at least. Of course, it was no king. He didn't really think much as he just went and killed the tiger to save the humans. It was like one would naturally call out if they saw someone start attacking another person on the street. While many would perhaps just stand by, Jake was the type who would interfere and then deal with the consequences afterward. In this case, the consequence was that the group survived, forcing him into an unwanted social encounter. It wasn't that bad, though, if a little awkward. He did learn that they were a family of three together with a family friend. Jake hadn't been able to say no when they asked if they could stay. All of them were relatively weak, the man only a level thirty-one human. He didn't appear to have a powerful class or profession, judging from how he'd nearly died to a level fifty-nine beast. He had been level forty-three when he killed the Alpha Venom Fang Badger, a mini-boss-type beast at level seventy-one. The tiger did have some impressive abilities, but in the end, it was nothing compared to that badger. It would have been ripped apart with a single swipe. Jake was pretty sure that he could have killed the Oakwood Tiger at level 31, though it would have been a tough fight. 
However, he did know that sending the four of them back into the forest in their current states would be no different from killing them. None of the family appeared very interesting initially, besides maybe the boy, since he was a healer. But he found out that the woman, Miranda, did have something interesting. He didn't know exactly what she did, but she clearly had some kind of negotiation or communication skill. He couldn't pinpoint what it did, but he was very sure that her words were infused with a skill. Jake didn't wait for them as he made his way back to his makeshift camp. It was little more than a blanket on the ground beside the pond. He wasn't afraid of them being attacked on the way. First of all, he could vaguely feel their positions when he focused on it, and secondly, no beasts appeared to want to enter the area. Sitting down once more, he was lost in thought for a while. His daily routine had been completely interrupted, and he wasn't quite sure what to do now. It felt weird just to start doing alchemy with the four of them also there. On the other hand, he couldn't just stop progressing due to social anxiety. He was only a single level away from getting his next prodigious alchemist of the Malefic Viper skill. On top of that, after reaching level 70, he could look for something new to do. Oh, it would be cool to go explore around the area a bit. Those caves looked cool, and he wanted to go look for some herbs or something. As he sat there thinking, the group of four arrived in the valley. They saw the beautiful waterfall and pond, with Jake sitting at the shore staring into the water. He looked like he was deep in thought, and the group thought that he was perhaps meditating on the wonders of the universe. Miranda and Hank found a tree where they could settle down. All of them were still on guard, but had slowly begun relaxing now. To their surprise, they hadn't encountered a single beast on the way here, not even a weak one lurking in one of the trees or the underbrush. The whole place just seemed so idyllic, peaceful. There were no sounds of beasts fighting in the distance, only the chirping of birds and the churnings of the waterfall. Miranda looked on as she saw the masked man summon something out of thin air. At first she thought it was an old metal pot, but she soon recognized it as a cauldron of some sort, like the sort a witch would use in old movies, just a lot smaller and with a lid. She saw him summon a barrel, which he then used to add water to the cauldron. The barrel disappeared as quickly as it had appeared, and the one behind it all placed both hands on the cauldron. The air shimmered as if an invisible flame was lit beneath it. Soon after, plants and flowers appeared, only to be added to the mixture. Finally, he placed the lid on it and seemed to sit there for a while. Minutes passed as he sat entirely unmoving. Miranda had a skill that allowed her to sense mana easier, and with it she could see that something was happening within the cauldron, something far too complex for her to have any chance to understand. Then, finally, the lid came off and she saw him bottle up a green liquid from within the cauldron. It took her a while, but she soon recognized them as stamina potions. Can he make them? she asked herself. It would explain how he had gotten such a powerful healing potion to give Hank. It was surprising, as she had never seen someone make potions before. She even had suspicions they were special items only for the tutorial. Was it a profession or class? Judging by the man's strength, he had to be a very high level in his class, she reckoned. But the creation of potions appeared more to be profession-related. Was he perhaps skilled in both? She didn't know, and at this point she was quite frankly too afraid to ask. They were already intruding as it was, and she feared that asking him could lead to him forcing them out, or worse, just getting rid of them permanently. They had seen their share of human-unhuman conflict, 
and people were far faster jumping straight to violence than before the system. The strong often acted like tyrants or superiors towards everyone around them, forced them to do their bidding. So far, she found the disinterest of their masked savior to be far preferable. Hank was sitting with his eyes closed, leaning up against a tree. His arm was slowly growing out, looking quite grotesque, if she had to say so herself. As he had reached level 25 in his race, he had gained the meditation skill, which he naturally used to speed up his recovery. Louise and Mark hadn't evolved like her and Hank yet, meaning neither of them had the skill. A shame, as the low mana recovery without it was one of the big reasons why their progress had been so slow in the forest. More often than not, Mark had found himself without mana. Miranda herself wasn't handy in a fight at all, so she wasn't sure she could say she hadn't been the most significant burden of the group. Her class was only at a measly level 18, though her profession was at a respectable level 41. Sadly, though, her profession didn't have many uses in combat. It was a weird profession, if she had to say so herself. Before the system, she had worked as a manager and had gotten a profession very closely related to that. It gave her skills related to communication and planning, and even some that gave her the ability to more effortlessly sense atmospheric mana. In their tutorial, they had called her profession a social type, one that didn't include any tangible crafting skill like builders, smiths, tailors, etc. But her profession did help those other ones. She got experience simply by guiding people and making sure what was needed during the tutorial was produced. She could delegate work and get experience just from that. It even helped the ones doing the actual work, as her skills passively helped them if they worked following her instructions. It was a win-win situation. It was far from the only social profession. The tutorial had been relatively peaceful most of the time, only forcing people into these insane trials once every week, each trial taking a day. Trials they'd entered in teams of five. These trials had included some kind of combat and many opportunities for those less suited for combat. Miranda distinctly remembered one filled with wooden puppets that she could guide to fortify their position, lay down traps, and put up barriers. Granted, Louise and Hank had done most of the killing, but she felt like she had helped quite a lot. Ultimately, this meant that professions had been a big focus in their tutorial, and as they were, many support-type social professions had also emerged. Miranda herself was perhaps the most prominent of all in her local group in her faction. Though there were quite a lot of different factions and groups, so she couldn't exactly call herself spectacular. Their faction alone had around a hundred thousand people assigned by the system. Seven more factions were also around, each of them with about the same number. She called them factions because they were clearly set up to oppose each other. Each team got shared rewards, but every trial would have a team from each faction. This naturally led to many conflicts, as some teams came in to slaughter every other team. The cursed system even rewarded them extra tutorial points for it, by giving them half the points of those they killed. This meant that often entire teams were wiped out at a time, and those that weren't wiped out had it even harder, as they were forced to either find a new team or continue on their lonesome. Skipping the trial was never an option. After leaving the tutorial, she had found little use for her profession, however. It relied on others to level, and with only four of them, it was far from enough. The only useful skills she had were her ability to sense mana and her intuition skill. It was what she had used to find this place. This area was... different. 
Like a massive beacon on the horizon, it lit up, making everyone aware that this place was unique. However, only Miranda could feel it, so it appeared that having a skill to sense mana or an intuition skill was required to truly feel it. Moreover, she felt like this place was calling to her, enticing her to come. The intuition skill she didn't quite comprehend yet. It did as advertised, and sometimes allowed her to get a feel for something, a notion that a particular course of action would be correct, or maybe an aching feeling in the back of her mind when something was off. On that note, the skill had done fuck all in front of the masked man. It was not a surprise, as it hadn't done much during fights either, but usually it at least did something. But towards him, it was utterly silent. It could sometimes help her prepare for fights by giving her an idea of what to do, but it didn't do much of anything when it came to actual combat. She knew that her profession was influential, though. It also fit her very well and played to her already existing non-system-related skills. Like nearly every other human, she was trying to find her place in this changing world. Sitting for a while, she just kept observing the masked individual as he worked. Sometimes he would craft potions that she recognized as health, mana, or stamina variants. Other times he made liquids she had never seen before. Occasionally the flames fizzled out beneath the cauldron, and she heard him curse beneath his breath as he dumped the liquid in a barrel he had placed on the side. Then he began again. She had observed many craftsmen and women during the tutorial, led many of them, guided them to improve their methods. But what she saw right now was truly above her pay grade. She knew it was incredibly complicated and that it required concentration at a high level. Small aspects were also highly optimized. The masked man deposited all the pot's ingredients through some kind of telekinesis, all in a seamless motion. Items required simply appeared out of thin air. His methods were efficient, but there was one aspect she respected more than any other. He didn't take a single break. Miranda sat there staring at him intensely for hours, nearly in a trance as he just kept working. Most workers would take a slight breather after concentrating intensely after every craft. It was human nature to never give 100% while working, at least not in her experience. But he truly gave 100% at every moment. Even when he complained to himself, his hands and telekinetic ability didn't stop. He just kept going like some kind of machine. It was admirable, to say the least, in Miranda's eyes. He must have been a good employee before the system. Hank and his children had all managed to settle down for now. His arms were now regrown and as good as new. It was almost surreal how effective the potion had been. Louise and Mark had both found a spot where they now both leaned against a tree, fast asleep. The last two weeks had taken their toll on the two. Hank was also resting his eyes, despite trying to keep himself awake. They had found a spot hidden behind some trees, out of sight from the masked man. Only Miranda remained, enraptured by what she was seeing. The crafting itself didn't interest her that much, but the skill and perseverance involved sure did. After another hour, he stopped after a successful craft. After bottling the potions, he got up and stood staring at the pond for a while. Miranda was slightly disappointed that he was done working, but soon her disappointment turned to astonishment. He walked out onto the water, walked on it. Then he sat down in the middle of the pond and sat in a meditative pose. Seconds later, several big stones floated up from beneath the surface. 
Her eyes twinkled as she saw this. She couldn't help but move a bit closer to see better. Her mana sense was clearly identifying that the masked man was somehow manipulating those stones with mana. But just as she had gotten slightly closer, the rock suddenly fell, and the man dropped into the water alongside them. She didn't even have time to register what had happened before a figure loomed over her, dripping with water and staring down at her with two yellowish eyes. She felt a shiver run down her spine as she quickly tried to come up with an explanation for her peeking. Could you stop staring? Miranda heard a weirdly meek voice say, her mind completely blank. Chapter 56 Points of View For hours he had tried to ignore her while working, enduring that piercing stare. It was far more unsettling than some dungeon boss staring him down. Jake felt like his every action was judged and evaluated. He had endured it, but it was just too much. He hated whenever people did that. It was why open-concept offices were the spawn of the devil himself. Who the hell could concentrate with someone staring at them covertly, or worse, sitting in plain fucking view, staring. What the hell, woman, was all he could think. He had managed to do alchemy, as most of it was routine by now, but even then he had failed far more than before. His mana practice was just damn impossible. It even took him a few seconds to coat his feet in mana to walk on water. So he prepared himself to confront the woman, to make her quit whatever she was doing, to give her a piece of his mind about how the hell she had been raised not to know staring at people was rude. So, with full gusto, he appeared before her, ready to lay into her. Could you stop staring? Mission successfully failed. Jake felt that he had just made the situation one hundred times worse. Worse yet, the woman just kept staring up at him like a deer caught in the headlights, like a child caught doing something wrong. I... I didn't mean to, Miranda stammered, trying to explain herself. Jake, at this point, was too embarrassed to think clearly either. The entire thing was just too damn awkward. But who the hell had told her to stare at him for literal hours? Miranda was the first to collect herself and managed to string together a sentence. I just wanted to see your crafting. It was very inspiring. Having a point of conversation to jump into, Jake also calmed himself. Be professional, he told himself as he answered. If you have any questions, just ask instead of silently staring. It is counterproductive for both of us. What Jake didn't know at this moment was the floodgate he had just opened. Miranda's eyes brightened as she began her barrage of questions. Can you tell me the profession you used to make potions? It's a profession, right? And what is that telekinetic skill? Is that part of your class or profession? Water-walking? Also the pot-like thing. Is that specific to making potions? What does it do? And where did you get the ingredients? Oh, and... Jake took a deep breath as he motioned for her just to follow him. Might as well just sate her curiosity. Going to the edge of the pond, she nervously yet enthusiastically followed. Taking out two chairs from his spatial storage, he couldn't help but think about how this was the first time he had needed to summon two pieces of furniture how he had never had anyone to sit with outside of gods. Maybe it would be nice to have a conversation with someone that wasn't himself. Of course, him not just summoning ingredients but freaking chairs only made Miranda all the more interested. Sitting down in the chair, and she couldn't help herself feeling it out, just to make sure it was actually a real physical object, 
Jake had to admit he found that a bit funny. Looking out over the pond, Jake felt himself relax a bit. It was weird how nerve-wracking he found it to engage with another human compared to fighting monsters. One question at a time, he said, still staring out on the water. How do you make potions? Miranda asked, just rehashing the questions she'd rapid-fired earlier. Alchemist profession allows me to make potions along with a bunch of other things. How did you get such a profession? she asked, frowning. Do you know what challenge dungeons are, or just dungeons in general? No to both. What are they? Separate spaces that you enter through portals. In my tutorial, most of the powerful enemies were found within those. Also, while I can't speak for every type of dungeon, you receive rewards upon completing the dungeon. The thought of not sharing information didn't occur to him. While there were many things he wouldn't share, this kind of knowledge would only help others strive. Besides, everyone would learn it in time, as it was considered common knowledge that even young children knew in the rest of the multiverse. Fascinating. I take it you have completed some of these dungeons. Yeah, a few. To answer your earlier question, my profession was gained through a challenge dungeon, with it being both a requirement and a part of the reward for doing it. If it was given through such unique circumstances, I can understand why I haven't encountered one before. She nodded. But how did you come across these dungeons? Were they part of the trials or in the city zone? Huh? Jake exclaimed, confused as he turned to her. What do you mean? The weekly trials? Wait, were there different kinds of tutorials? After that, they compared notes a bit. Jake had heard from his colleagues earlier about the different tutorials and even recognized a few things she said. It appeared that Mike had been in the same tutorial as these four. Granted, it was only guesswork based on his eavesdropping while he'd spoken to Jacob. Miranda heard for the first time that different types of tutorials existed. When she heard Jake talk about how his own had been a forest filled with beasts, she was more than a little surprised. Hers had been known as a creation-type tutorial, while Jake's had been a survival-type. She also voiced her surprise that she, out of a crowd of thousands, hadn't seen a single profession that could create potions before him. She also shared that while she'd known what an alchemist was before the system, it was only surface-level, something about pursuing immortality and turning lead to gold. Of course, Jake couldn't do that. He hadn't picked the transmute skill, after all. Anyway, both of them discovered a lot of exciting things. Jake learned a lot about different classes and professions, and he hadn't even heard of the so-called social professions before. There were, of course, also many more creation types. He learned that Hank was an evolved builder profession, Mark was a builder, and Louise had some kind of artist profession. Out of everyone, she was clearly the one least focused on hers, and she had apparently gotten it through growing a lot. Miranda learned a lot of common knowledge. She learned about standard terms, such as the different grades, and, of course, about dungeons and skills. He didn't share anything to do with gods or bloodlines, however. The world has really changed. I can't believe I worked in a manufacturing plant just a few months ago. Now I am sitting in the middle of a forest with a masked stranger. She laughed. Jake nodded along until the last part. The damn mask. Once more he had forgotten that he even had it on. It was just too damn sneaky. Who the hell designed a mask he couldn't see or even feel wearing? He hadn't taken it off for two weeks, not even when in the water. Uh, sorry, I totally forgot about the mask, he said, as he made it invisible. Oh, it was still there, just unable to be seen by anyone. 
Even the Viper had confirmed that while he knew it was still there, he couldn't actually see it. System stuff right there. Miranda had been looking at him all this time and was startled when the mask suddenly vanished. Jake, seeing her weird look, couldn't help but ask a bit self-consciously, What is it? You just look... normal. More normal than I expected, at least. The eyes made me expect something quite a bit different. Miranda chuckled. Jake probably did look far too normal for a masked savior that could teleport and summon things from thin air. Oh, I see. Of course, Jake had noticed that his eyes had changed quite a bit after he got gaze of the Apex Hunter. Not that he had anything against it. Even if it looked a bit weird at first sight, the power of the skill was more than worth it. Even a level 59 tiger had been entirely frozen for a few seconds just from a glance. Is it a skill? she asked. Yep, and quite a good one. How about that mind-affecting aura of yours? A profession-related one? Taken aback, she quickly apologized. I'm sorry, I don't even notice when I'm using it. It says that it only makes me appear more trustworthy, and I am so sorry if... It's fine. Doesn't work anyway, he interrupted, laughing it off. Takes a lot more than that to affect me. It's actually good practice when it comes to sensing and adapting to it. By all means, keep it active. Relieved, Miranda let out a breath, probably afraid that all the goodwill she had built up had disappeared. But for some reason, she seemed also relieved to hear that her skills didn't work. By the way, I don't have any subtle mind-affecting skills, if you wondered, Jake clarified. He couldn't help but wonder if people would have to explain stuff like that in the future, or how such skills would affect human interactions. Good to know. I was afraid I was unable to detect it if there was, Miranda explained, slightly relieved once more. I bought a skill to defend myself against mental attacks for my tutorial points. Did your tutorial have those points too? It did. That appears to be one shared commonality, besides the height death rates. Yes, I am unsure of the six other factions, but out of a hundred thousand on our side, I think we lost nearly ten thousand. You mentioned that your tutorial had twelve hundred. How many people made it out? Only one, Jake said. Miranda instantly exclaimed. What? Only a hundred? How can that... No, one, as in me. Miranda sat there staring at him for a few seconds, while Jake tried to save the situation by further clarifying. Uh, but four others also made it in the end. They did all die, though. What the heck happened? How is that even possible? Were those beasts that powerful? No. Well, the beasts did kill quite a few in the first days. Humans killed humans. I'm not entirely sure about everything that happened. However, some psychopath ended up killing everyone but himself and me towards the end. Jake sighed, still remembering the terrible, yet slightly satisfying memory of pummeling William into a paste. Who would do that? What happened to that person? I killed him, Jake explained casually. I... I am sorry if that must have been terrible, having to kill another person. Miranda looked horrified and sorrowful at the same time. Jake, trying to ease her feelings, explained, It was fine, it's not like he was the first. An attempt that sure as hell didn't work. Jake had forgotten that it had still only been three months since the system arrived. While humans adapted quickly, it wasn't that quick. The act of killing other humans was still a concept many found hard to grasp. On the other hand, Jake had begun to accept it as just another reality of the multiverse. 
While he wouldn't go out of his way to kill humans, he, surprisingly, even to himself, wasn't very averse to it. An enemy was an enemy, after all. He knew he had been affected a bit by talking with the Viper, whose main advice to solving problems tended to be just kill everyone. Seeing Jake practically admit to multiple murders like it was no big deal made Miranda shrink back a little, something he naturally noticed. What's wrong? he asked with genuine confusion. I... I'm sorry if... I don't get it, he said, scratching his head. Why would you... she muttered under her breath until she collected herself and raised her head to look Jake in the eyes. What are you planning on doing with us? She seemed to have reached a conclusion wildly different from reality. Miranda had deduced that the only reason why Jake would just confess to it was that he wasn't planning on letting them go. She couldn't comprehend any other reason why someone would admit to such an incriminating act, something that, in her eyes, was absolutely immoral. If he had responded with deep emotions from taking another human life, she would have reacted differently. But he talked of it like it was just a minor matter. She even had suspicions that he was the psycho that he'd claimed murdered his entire tutorial. What she didn't understand was why he would lure her in like that to have such a long, pleasant conversation just to show his fangs. Was it some kind of demented entertainment for him? Okay, what's happening here? I don't plan on doing anything with you. What? he exclaimed, sounding wholly dumbfounded. She looked at him searchingly as parts of her had prepared to die. Miranda found this response different from what she'd expected. He seemed genuinely confused. Either he was the most talented actor she had ever seen, or he was honest. Either way, she steeled herself and just asked, Why did you kill others? What? Jake said with exasperation. Because they were enemies and attacked me. Is that what you were so caught up in? Seriously? So it was all in self-defense, Miranda asked, with a bit of hope that the man in front of her wasn't a mass-murdering monster, though the casualness still bothered her. Well, yeah, though I guess the last one was more out of rage. But really, what's up with you? Can't you see what is wrong with killing others? Miranda practically yelled, her fear slowly being replaced with anger. If they are my enemies, no. It's not like I get any kicks out of it. I merely realize that this new world isn't one where killing can be as black and white as before. Things have changed. Doesn't mean I like it, just that I acknowledge it. Jake felt a sense of deja vu, as he'd had this conversation with the Viper during one of their very first meetings. He recognized where Miranda was coming from, but he now also realized that it was too naive. So you're just going to kill anyone you deem an enemy, she asked, getting more than a little upset at the notion. If I deem it necessary, then yeah, I will, Jake answered calmly. And when is it necessary? When I decide it is. Jake felt like he was sitting on the other side of the discussion he'd had not even that long ago. He knew the next arguments. He'd had the same debate, after all. In the end, it all boiled down to a differing fundamental view on the value of life. He had realized that putting life on a pedestal and walking the path he was currently on was both impossible and hypocritical. He was a hunter. A hunter's purpose is to hunt down and kill their prey. He had already killed thousands of creatures during the tutorial. Some of them were approaching, if not already at, the intelligence level of humans. Some were likely even above, such as the great white stag. Well, you... I will do what I think is best, Jake interrupted. The world is different now. Tell me, how many enemies did you kill during the tutorial? That is different. 
They attacked us and we had to defend ourselves. Besides, while it doesn't make it okay, they weren't intelligent beings who... Jake interrupted her again with an argument he shamelessly stole from the Viper himself. So it is okay to kill children, as they aren't as smart as adults. He, of course, knew full well how preposterous the statement was. Of course not. It isn't. Oh, but it is the same. The system has changed every living being on a base level. A simple animal can evolve to a level of intelligence above that of a human. They can even learn to take humanoid forms, speak, love, and live a life no different from you and me. To kill any living being is to take away that potential. A young child is no more intelligent than an animal, but we know they will grow up to become like you and me. What we kill is their potential, and now killing any living being in the world is taking away that potential. Heck, we can even expand it to plants, as even they can evolve. He knew there were flaws in the argument, but it got the point across. Tell me, do you find it justified that I killed that tiger chasing you? If you hadn't, we would be dead, she answered still taking in what he'd said before his question. What if it had been a human? Would you still find it acceptable that I killed them? I don't know, she said, thinking. To me, that question is easy. It was someone I decided to kill when I saw the situation and made a split-second decision. That decision saved you and the three others. I would have done the same if it was a human. I have my own thoughts, but more importantly, I have my own guts and intuition and I trust those more than any law or interpretation of morality. He stood up. Miranda watched him until he turned and said, I am going out for a bit. This place is safe, so just rest up. Take care. I'll be back. With those words, he walked off, with each step crossing tens of meters. Miranda just stared after him, still lost in thought. Chapter 57 Going Down I was pretty cool, if I say so myself, Jake thought, while walking away from the valley, trying to look as cool as he possibly could. It had nothing to do with how he'd had no idea where the hell to take the conversation after his whole murder-is-fine speech. Besides, maybe it was time to go for a bit of a walk. Jake hadn't left that small valley for the better part of two weeks before today. While some immortal god might scoff at him for thinking of that as a long time, he did feel like it was. He just needed a bit of a push to get him out of there. Talking with Miranda had been very enlightening in many different ways. He had learned a lot about other people's thoughts on the system, and even learned about other classes, professions, and other tidbits. He was also coming to understand that his tutorial was very much an outlier, the Viper had told him that, but it helped to have a human reiterate and put it into perspective. Just the sheer amount of godfuckery and interference that had been going on, grand designs of fate, and all that bullshit. While in Miranda's case, she hadn't spoken of gods a single time, and Jake hadn't felt like bringing it up either. Perhaps she didn't even know they existed. It was a very teaching moment. He had heard that other tutorials were very closely related to a god, but clearly hers wasn't. Having a tutorial like Jake's hadn't exactly turned out well from an outside perspective. Only having one real survivor, with four others only living due to weird items or skills bringing them back from the dead, or making them able to live on as undead. Again, this was a testament to how different his tutorial had been, as people were actually revived during it. It did allow those who made it out to be well ahead of the curve, Miranda had been in a far more normal tutorial, 
None of the thousands of people she'd interacted with had a level close to him, Jacob, Casper, or even Bertram, from what she said. Anyone that reached level 25 in their race level before the tutorial ended was seen as a pinnacle elite. Even just having a class or profession at level 25 put you into the elite tier. Hank had been one of the stronger ones in her tutorial. Not the strongest, but strong enough that no one messed with them. Likewise, Miranda had been one of the most recognized professionals, as they called those who focused on professions. Those who'd focused on classes were talked of as fighters, and those with professions as professionals. Why they hadn't settled on classers, he didn't know, but the word fighters was pretty descriptive of their focus and purpose, so it was fine. Though he did like classers more. If you focused on both, there didn't really appear to be a name. Besides, nearly everyone ended up being more in one lane than the other. Even someone like Hank, who had both an evolved class and profession, was considered a fighter, with both being very close in level. It was all fascinating. It was part of the tutorial Jake had never gotten to experience. Granted, others hadn't experienced dungeons and fighting D-grade unique life forms, so maybe he wasn't the one who'd missed out on the action. While thinking, he soon found himself in front of one of the two cave entrances in the valley. It was his target, after all. Last time he'd only briefly gone in and looked around, finding nothing of particular interest in the first part of it. The only thing interesting was that he had no idea exactly how far it went, or how deep it was. Walking in, he could tell that it was indeed leading slightly downward. He also detected the small differences in the atmospheric mana. Sagacity of the malefic viper allowed him to tell the difference far easier than before. Countless concepts were always in the mana around him. Except for unique places like the Forgotten Sewers dungeon, it was like this everywhere. The forest outside was also like this, mainly possessing what he assumed to be nature affinity mana. In here, however, he quickly began to feel a difference. The humidity in the air increased, and with it, water affinity mana. The intensity of earth mana increased, too, with even tiny fragments of the dark affinity, though nowhere near enough to begin devouring the other affinities. Of course, many more were present that he couldn't detect. One of them reminded him a lot of vital energy, making him guess it was some kind of life affinity, which was also abundant outside. Continuing onwards, he focused on his sense of the malefic viper. Closing his eyes, relying solely on the sphere to guide him, he took in all the information. He felt the manna in the air, the moss, the mushrooms. It had been a nearly forgotten skill for the longest time, where he only relied on the passive sense. Now, however, he was actively focusing on it. His perception had grown to monstrous levels since the last time he really focused on the skill. His knowledge of mana had grown even more than that, which resulted in a system message barely a few seconds into using the skill. Skill upgraded, sense of the Malefic Viper, rare to epic. The Malefic Viper sought out many natural treasures on its path to power. It is only natural to learn to sense them. Having walked further on your path as an alchemist of the Malefic Viper, your senses for poisons and herbs only sharpen, gives a passive ability to detect herbs and poisons in different forms, and a strong feeling of their properties and affinities, allows you to far better sense the poison you have inflicted, allows the alchemist to far more easily detect affinities in the environment, and detect areas optimal for cultivating herbs, adds an increase to the effectiveness of sense of the malefic viper based on perception. The message was, in many ways, unsurprising. Jake had expected it, but not this soon. Comparing mental notes of the version before it, 
he noticed that the main difference was that it now also included sensing mana and mana affinities more easily. He couldn't help but compare it to sagacity of the Malefic Viper, and even palate of the Malefic Viper. The overlap was truly beginning to show in his mind. Palette gave him instinctive knowledge of herbs and toxins, with sagacity giving him knowledge of mana affinities and ingredients, and sense to detecting them. Progress in any one of the skills would affect the others, and as Jake grew, so did the power of other skills. Blood of the Malefic Viper and Touch of the Malefic Viper were affected by all the poisons he had consumed. Even Scales, which was a bit of an outlier, did allow him to obtain and handle the poisonous substances more easily. A theory had already formed in his head a long time ago. All of his skills with Of the Malefic Viper were part of a set. It had once been a complete whole. Either by design or through natural means, it was now split up into many different skills, all giving a part of that whole. And if he was right, then it meant that getting sense of the Malefic Viper to ancient rating would net him another stat bonus per level in his profession. Perception, most likely, something he very much desired. At the same time, he guessed that touch of the Malefic Viper would end up giving intelligence. It was the only directly offensive skill the profession had granted him thus far, making it seem very likely, which meant he still had three other skills to discover, if he was correct, that is. One that gave willpower he could easily see. His blessing already awarded that along with his profession itself, clearly marking it as a stat significantly associated with the alchemist of the Malefic Viper profession. As for strength and agility, however, he wasn't sure if those even existed. Either way, it was useless to ponder on. He firmly believed himself to be correct, which was one of the main reasons he was rushing to seventy. Only one more level to go. As Jake focused on the skill and basked in its upgraded glory, he sensed far more things and even noticed minuscule, almost ethereal fragments floating in the air all around him, too small and insignificant for even his sphere to have detected them before. But with the skill, he became aware of them. He wondered what they were. He even tried using Identify on them, but failed, so instead he just followed one of the small things. Very slowly, it floated through the air and landed on the moist ground, only to sink into it. It went down a few centimeters before becoming dormant. Frowning, he tried to find another fragment to focus on. This time he instead tried to trace its source. It didn't take him long to find out what exactly was the cause. Small mushrooms on the ground occasionally released one of the small fragments, and it was only due to the ground being littered with them that so many small things were in the air. They were spores. Microscopic spores were how these mushrooms propagated and spread. Walking up to some of them, Jake saw two different kinds, neither larger than half of his pinky finger. They were genuinely tiny. Both mushrooms were pure white, with different colored spots on them. One had yellow spots and the other blue. Identifying them, their names were as they looked. Yellow-spotted mushroom, inferior, a poisonous mushroom of the earth affinity, causes stiffness and mild paralysis, not fully grown yet and will have a weak effect if used as an alchemical ingredient. Blue-spotted mushroom, inferior, a mushroom of the water affinity, safe to consume, but its liquids can be highly poisonous and cause blood thinning, not fully grown yet, and will have a weak effect if used as an alchemical ingredient. Davy mushrooms, he thought, with a slight smirk. He considered picking some of them to eat for his palate skill, but decided against it. Instead, he would give them time to grow big and strong. Then he would come back and eat them. How kind he was. 
Getting up, he moved further into the cave. By now, he was around sixty or so meters in. Looking back, he could still see the entrance, but it was slightly obscured by the ground of the cave, as well as a part of the wall, meaning the cave was indeed leading down, but also curving slightly. So far, he hadn't encountered any living things besides small bugs that were all identified as level zero. In other words, they weren't able to level or hadn't done what was required for them to do so. In nearly every way, they were just ordinary animals, if slightly stronger from the mana. Which made sense, as he was still within the area of his pylon of civilization. The pond it was buried next to was only a few kilometers away, making the area the pylon covered pretty big. Exactly how big, he didn't know, but the group of four he'd saved were all nearly five kilometers away from the pylon itself, making him guess that was around the maximum range. Yet he was actually beginning to feel its effect wane after walking only for a few more minutes. Now, around three hundred meters into the cave, the entrance was entirely gone from sight, and darkness dominated. Not that it bothered him, as his vision was clear as day. The only difference was the slightly increased dark affinity mana in the air, but he had adapted to that long ago. This was also when he spotted the first actual monster, though not a very impressive one. Fly-eater, level eight. It was some kind of plant. And while it was large for a plant, it was relatively small compared to beasts Jake had seen, perhaps no bigger than one of his arms. It was entirely green and looked like a regular flytrap, just larger. Pretty sure flytraps don't grow in caverns, though, he thought. It did remind him of another kind of herb he had. Mentally checking out his spatial storage, he found the pile of mushrooms he was thinking about and took one out. Flytrap mushroom, inferior. A carnivorous poisonous mushroom eating insects in order to accelerate its growth possesses a strong life affinity and has strong acidic qualities. The name was even slightly similar. But why was this just a normal herb and the fly-eater instead a monster with levels? He knew plants could somehow evolve into sapient creatures, but it was another thing to see it right in front of him. The fly-eater was squirming forward with small vines dragging it around. It looked unbelievably slow and clumsy. Entering sneak mode, he got closer to observe it better. As he did so, his fear picked up something he hadn't expected. More fly-eaters. Not on the surface, however. Tens of them had dug only a few centimeters under the ground and now lay in wait. Their posture made them look like buried bear traps, ready to clamp. Jake doubted they could do him any harm, even if they bit him, but decided to avoid them anyway. None of them were above level ten, making them actually seem kind of cute. Not wanting to disturb them, he snuck by and made his way further into the depths. He hadn't exactly planned on how far he wanted to go, but at least to where he couldn't feel the pylon at all. Currently, it was so faint that it was barely noticeable, but it was still there. The only monsters that dared enter the domain were those fly-eaters, it appeared, as he didn't encounter anything new for the next few hundred meters, except for more fly-eaters. No flies, though, making him wonder if their name truly represented their dietary preferences. He had to be at least eight hundred meters in, and likely fifty or sixty meters down by now, maybe even further. He had found quite the assortment of interesting herbs on his way, but pretty much all of them were not fully grown yet. They hadn't had more than a bit over two months to grow, after all. At one kilometer or so, the influence of the pylon was totally gone. At least, Jake couldn't sense it at all. 
The cave was just long and narrow, no more than four or five meters across the entire way, with no other opening anywhere. From the mark where the pylon's influence disappeared, he began seeing creatures here or there, but none that had even reached level twenty-five. He would consider this entire trip a waste of time except for the herbs. Yet he kept going, and after reaching around the two-kilometer mark, his disappointment was only growing. That was why the next sight was so pleasantly surprising. The entire cavern opened up before him after he moved through a small entrance. He hadn't entered any portal or anything, yet it felt like entering another world entirely. The entire cavern had to be more than a hundred meters tall, meaning that he genuinely had gone far deeper underground than he first anticipated. The other end of the cavern wasn't even visible. Instead, Jake saw hundreds of different wild and alien plants everywhere. Some were more recognizable, like giant mushrooms the size of trees, all the way to these weird, bark-covered, almost metallic tubes. It indeed was like entering another world. And then he saw movement. An insectoid monster crawled on top of one of the mushrooms nearly right in front of him. Long blades and the place of forearms gleamed from the light of the glowing moss above. It was a giant, human-sized mantis. Mantis Scyther, level 42. Jake chuckled to himself as he saw its level, and even more so when it charged towards him. Maybe this trip will be fun after all. Chapter 58 Two Kinds of People Jake stood on top of a large purple mushroom as he inhaled deeply, taking in the atmosphere. This cavern, which he had decided to now call a biodome, was truly interesting. On the ground beneath him lay tens of dead insectoids. None had been a threat, but had nevertheless been insanely aggressive. The beasts above had either scurried off upon seeing him, or at least been hesitant. These insects didn't give a damn, which naturally resulted in their untimely demise. One charging mantis had quickly attracted others to come out of the woodwork, or shroomwork in this case, and join the charge. One charging mantis had quickly resulted in many dead mantises. The strongest had been level 48, with the weakest at 26. Quite the disparity. Far more so than a dungeon would have, but then again, this area wasn't as designed as those were. Besides, Jake could feel that he hadn't met the big boss of this biodome yet. For the first time, he felt a bit of excitement. Maybe he could even find something worth fighting down here. With those thoughts, he moved onwards, slaughtering everything in his path as he went towards the center of the biodome. On the way, he didn't care for herbs as before. He only focused on the aura he felt. It was faint, but it was there. A sword in one hand, a dagger in the other, he cleaved down mantis after mantis. Occasionally a centipede-like monster would appear, but they didn't seem to be on friendly terms with the mantises either. Most of them were either injured or in the middle of being devoured. The same was true for every other species besides the manises. This was clearly their territory, their domain, a domain that had now been invaded by an enemy predator in the form of a human. Soon he couldn't strike the manises down in a single blow anymore. Their levels were growing, starting in the early fifties and now at the early sixties, with even the occasional one in the early seventies. Any of these manises would be the apex predator only a few hundred meters above them. But down here, they could only play second fiddle to the true lord of the biodome. 
Jake jumped to one of the tallest mushrooms and stared down at the huge insect beneath him. Its body was bright green, its eyes even shining slightly. Its two blades were more than three meters long. It had strong mandibles that looked like they could easily crush steel and a level that made it worthy of being the ruler here. Alpha Mantis Scyther, level 89. Smiling, Jake looked down at it, making eye contact. He had hoped to see a trace of intelligence as he had seen in all of the dungeon bosses, yet he found only disappointment. Not a single spark of intelligence was present. It was clearly nothing more than a giant, stupid insect. A shame, he thought. Hopefully it can make up for it in power. Taking out his bow, a quiver appeared on his back simultaneously. At the same time, the mantis had now clearly noticed him, and like all the others, it merely attacked. Jake didn't use infused power shot, but instead opened with a splitting arrow. In flight, one arrow split into two dozen, the most considerable amount Jake had created so far with a single shot. Jake could see the arrows about to hit the mantis when he got his first pleasant surprise. Its back opened up, and out came two transparent sets of wings. With a swift motion, it dodged all of the arrows and continued its attack, even faster than Jake had anticipated. Less than a second after he had fired the arrow, the Alpha Mantis was before him, its scythe cleaving down. Jake took a step forward as he saw the mushroom be split in two behind him through his sphere. His step had naturally been the skill one-step mile and had taken him down to the ground, close to where the Mantis had been initially. Turning around quickly, he managed to fire off another arrow before the clearly confused insect managed to locate him. He hit it right in its midsection and saw the arrow sink in deeply as it shrieked in pain. He'd been pretty sure Manises couldn't shriek before. His attack had done little more than alert it to his position. With its more than six-meter-tall body, it flew towards him once more, its speed still very impressive. Firing off yet another arrow, he hit it another time before it reached him and once more he dodged it, this time without even using a skill. Its attacks were predictable and straightforward, but its only advantage was in speed. Clearly, its agility and maybe even strength were far above his own. He didn't doubt that if he got hit by its blades, he would lose an arm or a leg. He just didn't feel like it would ever hit him. Their dance kept going for a few minutes, with Jake dodging and the mantis frantically trying to cut him to pieces. Eventually, Jake began to get bored, as the insect hadn't done jack shit to adapt. The only change was its accumulating wounds. He hoped for it to have more, maybe some kind of new skill or hidden ability, but nothing. It was just slowly fighting a battle it clearly couldn't win, with no thought of any kind. It was just disappointing. With a sigh, Jake decided to end it. One step mile... He appeared tens of meters behind the mantis as he turned around, an arrow already knocked. The mantis was once more confused, having clearly learned nothing from earlier. Gaze of the apex hunter. Then its body froze, and finally, infused power shot. It lost its head to an arrow that soared through the biodome with unstoppable power. Miranda sat in the chair, staring out at the serene pond. She saw the small eel swimming without a care in the world as the thoughts jumped around in her head. She felt like there was a vast difference between her and the young, formerly masked man, not just in power, but mentality and understanding. He had known so much of the system, like he had lived in it far longer than Miranda or the others, 
or actually been able to learn from someone who had. His experiences of the tutorial were so much more than hers. The most significant difference, however, was the disparity in mindset between the two. In her work before the system, she'd interacted and worked with many different types of employees. Over time, she had begun to classify them mentally, put them into boxes, one for those you need to watch out for and those you don't. The first group was also split into many different types, troublemakers, the lazy, the incompetent, yet she found the most volatile of them all in another category, the truly driven. Many workers just went to work for their monthly paycheck. They worked to live, to get the job done and go home. But the driven wanted more than that. They wanted to advance. They wanted to improve. They became restless if their ambitions weren't realized. In her retrospection, she had come to see that she and even Hank and his kids were the first types of people. Not in her job before the tutorial, but in the tutorial itself. Like a worker merely working to live, she had done the tutorial simply to survive. Nearly everyone had. Of course, she had worked hard in her own mind. She'd gone above and beyond to organize and try and lead some of the other survivors, but she couldn't honestly say that she hadn't done it for the sake of survival making herself useful and gaining levels to not die in the next trial. The trials themselves had also been harrowing, a real struggle, and the moment they'd ended, Miranda had returned to the rest area as quickly as possible. Yet, what if she had remained within the trial area? No one forced them to leave. What if she'd gone beyond where they simply guarded themselves during the trial? That was the first type of person, the type that was just walking forward to survive one day at a time, the other type was different. You needed to look out for them, focusing on both the good and the bad. They would be the employee that could take the company to the next level, have a new innovative idea or strategic insight that could lead to practical change. They could be the best type of employee imaginable. At the same time, they could be the worst type, the one who would advance by any means necessary, willing to stomp on anyone in their way on their path of advancement. Every other person was merely a tool to help them. Without a doubt, the masked man was the ambitious and driven type. If he had been in their tutorial, he wouldn't have stayed in the trial area. He would have gone beyond it. She heard how he spoke, as if it was natural to hunt down whatever monsters lurked in the most dangerous corners of his tutorial. He had gone above and beyond and come out of the tutorial more powerful than she thought possible. And what did he do then? He kept working. He kept grinding. Somehow, he had managed to find the time and do his alchemy also. She respected him, but at the same time she was terrified of how foreign he felt. As she concluded, he was the second type of person, ambitious and driven. But was he the archetype that would bring himself up and by doing so uplift everyone around him? Or the one who left others in his wake, squashed beneath him? She worried because this wasn't just a corporate job they were talking about. It wasn't just a lost bonus or a missed promotion. It wasn't a bastard taking credit for work he didn't do or cheating on an evaluation. It was the difference between letting others live and outright killing them. The difference between the ones killing the people they entered the trials with and those who worked together. Miranda had been incredibly sure that the masked man was the good kind for the majority of their conversation. She had been so sure, until the end. Now she wasn't so confident. Was he a monster, or a savior? Perhaps neither. She looked down at the pond, her face easily reflected by the calm water. 
Her slightly haggard look was making her a bit embarrassed. Her long orange hair had all curled up from not having a proper wash since leaving the tutorial. If she had to say so herself, she looked quite good usually, but now she could easily be confused for being homeless. At least her skin was still as healthy as before. She found it weird how the system affected appearance through the evolutions. The consensus had been that the change was according to the one evolving and their own desires. If you had flaws or blemishes you considered faults, the system would better them. It couldn't do significant changes, at least not at E grade, but it could do smaller things according to what she'd encountered. The makeup industry would have gone under without a doubt, she thought, as she sat down at the edge of the pond and began clearing her face and hair. The water was cold and pleasant, and it was refreshing to finally start feeling cleaner. Miranda, she recognized the voice, turning around to see Hank standing a few meters away, not staring at her, but the two chairs right behind her. Where did the masked man go? he continued, appearing slightly worried. And where do these chairs come from? Oh, hey, Hank, she said, as she continued washing her hair. I'm not sure where he went. It just said he was heading out for a bit. Oh, and the chairs are his. He had these chairs just lying around, Hank asked, still kind of hung up on where the hell they came from. They were in the middle of a forest, hundreds of kilometers from anything as far as he could tell, and the chairs were clearly old and made of strange wood. No, he summoned them out of thin air, waved his hands, and then a chair appeared in each of them. Are they real? he asked, studying them more in depth. They both knew that some classes and professions had learned to summon things with skills, so she understood the confusion. But they always consisted of mana and would disappear after a short while. They are, she answered. <clears throat> Hank said, finally deciding to move on from the subject. What happened after I fell asleep? The man walked over, sat a few meters from her, and began also cleaning himself. Perhaps seeing her do it made him realize how long it had been. He had a full beard that was full of leaves and small pieces of sticks, not to mention the blackened blood that had made it all stiff. His arm was back to normal, but the blood that had splattered all over his face as it exploded hadn't disappeared. I sat watch as we agreed and kept an eye on him. After a while he called me out on it and we ended up sitting here and had a pleasant chat. It was very enlightening. Miranda didn't want to disclose the embarrassing circumstances in which it had happened. Any useful information? Hank asked, seemingly bewildered that they had ended up having what she described as a pleasant chat. Oh, so much. First of all, Miranda began recounting all the useful information she had learned, the things the masked man had known of the system, of skills and what not, about dungeons, and about what he mentioned his tutorial was like. It is indeed unbelievable. Different universes, these magical spaces you call dungeons, different tutorials, alchemy. Hank said, as he leaned back, having now had time to clean his face properly. The same you told me alone. Now I will have to explain it to the kids later. <laughs> like you aren't going to enjoy looking all knowledgeable and cool. She chuckled as the man smiled slightly, something he hadn't done often after his wife, her best friend, had died. How powerful do you think he is? Hank finally asked, a question she had expected and considered. I truly don't know. His profession is at a very high level, of that I am sure, and from his retellings, assuming they are true, he has also done plenty of fighting. I think... I think his race level may be over level sixty. What? Is that even possible? Hank said, with wide eyes. 
Clearly, he is strong, but to such an extent. Are you sure he told the truth? Did you use that mental skill of yours? I did, and he didn't just notice it. He found it enjoyable, as he said it helped him to understand how such a skill works or something, with the comment that it was far too weak to have any effect. Miranda sighed. Is he safe to even stay here? He is gone now, but what if he decides just to get rid of us upon returning? From what you said, the talk didn't end on a positive note. Hank seemed somewhat worried as he looked back towards his still-sleeping children. I am not sure, but is anywhere really safe these days? The forest was hell. And Hank, we are weak, all of us. Can we truly make it on our own, or just long enough to find help? Was just us four? I think it's safer to stay here. Besides, he didn't look like a bad guy. He saw his face, Hank asked. Forget it. Let's just stay here for now, at least till he returns. By the way, what did he say his name was? Miranda froze for a bit as she began fiddling with her hands. I, uh, yes, I forgot to ask. Chapter 59 Big Blue Mushroom Truly disappointing, Jack thought, as he looked at the now-dead Alpha Mantis Scyther, a level 89 beast that was the lord of this biome, reduced to a headless corpse in what couldn't even be called a real fight. If he had to compare it to something, it would be the Den Mother, and not in a favorable way for the Mantis. Despite it being seven levels higher, the Den Mother had been stronger. More importantly, it had had a much higher level of intelligence and many more skills in its toolbox. Focusing on physical stats, the Mantis likely had the Den Mother beaten, without a doubt, himself too. It was also surprising that there even was such a high-level creature down in these caverns. This biodome in itself was a pleasant surprise. With their leader dead, the Mantises were no longer a threat either, now that they ever had been. Jake made his way towards the center of this biodome, his sense of the malefic viper telling him that something containing a lot of mana was there. Little was in his way as he ran there, encountering only a few mantises that he quickly cut apart. Soon he found himself before the source of it all, a glowing blue crystal embedded in the ground, surrounded by wild plant life. Using Identify on it, he got... nothing. No response at all, a phenomenon he had run into many times before. If he wanted to identify a piece of metal, wood, or crystal, it usually didn't work. He didn't have the required skill to do so, from what he'd gathered. Similarly, others couldn't use Identify on plants and toxic things. It was why Jake had the skills herbology and toxicology from his profession that allowed him such knowledge. The only outliers he had encountered so far were things in dungeons and special items during the tutorial. Those he had been able to identify without a problem. Now the question was, should and could he take the big shiny crystal with him? He could clearly feel it pumping out vast amounts of pure mana to the surrounding area, and it was likely the source of life in this entire biodome. Taking it would possibly result in the whole cavern no longer being the sprawling place of life it was now. Of course, all of this was dependent on his ability to even move the crystal to begin with. It was rather large, sticking out of the ground around three meters up, with another three meters under the ground. It reminded him a bit of the pylon at first, but there were also clear differences. The pylon was clearly a creation of the system, while this in front of him was just a somewhat standard giant mana crystal. Also, 
He was pretty damn sure he had run into this kind of crystal before. He just couldn't quite remember where. Raising his hand, he placed it upon the crystal. It felt just like a big piece of glass, or a regular crystal. There was nothing incredible about it, except for the mana it so clearly emanated into the biodome. Activating his necklace, he tried to store the crystal, but he felt like there was some kind of resistance. He kept trying for a while, but ended up admitting to himself that moving it wasn't possible, at least not in his storage. His fear of perception revealed the reason. Beneath the ground, hundreds of small vines and roots extended into the crystal. Following them, he could see that they belonged to all the plants around him. Most surprising, however, were the fungi, or perhaps fungus would be more accurate. Every single one of the giant blue mushrooms was a part of this one plant, one entity that spread beneath the ground. From a mycology standpoint, this was very interesting. Sadly, Jake didn't care that much for mushrooms to begin with. In fact, he had quite the distaste for the damn things. And for these to even dare to be blue, it was an offense he couldn't let slide lightly. And he really wanted to bring the big shining mana crystal with him, if only to figure out exactly what it was and test things with it. So he took out his Omni-tool and once more turned it into a shovel. Plunging it into the ground, he hit the roots of the mushrooms and... Oh, 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 yeah. A loud booming sound echoed through the entire biodome. The ground shook, and Jake was momentarily dumbstruck by what the hell was happening. All he had done was sever a few roots of the damn fungus. It had awakened something. An aura spread throughout the entire biodome, suppressing every living mantis still scouring about, making them freeze up in fear. It was the type of aura Jake had only felt once before, the one that came from the suppression of a higher grade. The ground in front of him exploded. He was pushed away from the crystal, stabilizing himself quickly. The crystal itself rose into the air as countless vines spun around it, shielding it from sight. But it was not only the mushrooms acting up. Everything was. Now every single living plant in the entire dome was giving off the exact same aura. He felt his skill, Big Game Hunter, hum to life, his strength and agility both being empowered, meaning whatever he now faced was a higher level than him, and not to a negligible degree. Eyes wide open, he used Identify on a random tree-like plant, and got a result. Indigo Fungus Mycorrhiza, level unknown. He had made quite an error. The Mantis had never been the lord of this area. The true ruler had been the area itself, and now, finally, he saw it. The mushrooms had invaded every single plant here, made them a part of it. It was all one giant living creature, connected through a network of fungi. Now, with it awake, it jumped into action. Hundreds of tendrils flew out of the ground, and the plants moved in concert. But not only towards Jake. He saw the metal-like tubes he had found interesting earlier penetrate the corpse of a dead mantis he had left nearby. Like a needle, it pierced into it, and in mere moments the corpse turned into an empty husk, drained of all nutrients. For a brief moment on his way here, he had wondered why he saw no corpses. Now he understood. Tendrils flew towards him as the entire area shook. The ground right beneath him exploded once more, but he had seen it coming in his sphere long ago. It considered his options as he jumped away from the four spike-like roots that exploded from where he stood only moments ago. What he stood before was an actual D-grade being, above level 100, with unknown abilities. 
It wasn't like the mantis from before. Logically, the best plan would be to retreat, as he doubted the entire monstrosity could actually follow him, but he couldn't stop smiling. Finally, he had found something worth fighting. This creature was very different from the king of the forest. The king had been absolutely dominating at every step. The king had possessed intelligence rivaling that of a human, stats far above one. His only weakness had been the tools given by the tutorial and his own arrogance. The indigo fungus, however, he just didn't feel the same pressure. He had gotten stronger, and this thing was weaker than the king. But at the same time, he couldn't underestimate it and end up being fucked like he'd been against the king. Jake kept dodging as the vines came for him from all sides. Often he was forced to avoid being enclosed by vines with Shadow Vault or One Step Mile. His sense of the malefic viper also yelled at him at the back of his head. Of course, he thought, as he felt the poison seep into his body. Many of the mushrooms and other plants were poisonous and now released all their fumes into the air. He heard the shrieks of all the still-living mantises from all around the biodome, dying slowly. To Jake, on the other hand, it was almost pleasant, and it did give him an idea. When fighting a creature roughly the size of ten football fields, the first problem, where the hell do you begin your attack? What do you even attack? The second problem, how do you get to whatever weak point it might have? The third problem, how do you outlast such a creature with its likely enormous resources? All of these questions had a single answer. Poison. Because the fungus had one fatal flaw. It was all connected. His grin only growing, Jake cleaved through a few vines with his sword and dagger. The attacks were endless. A spear-like root was attacking him to try and pierce him, but this one he didn't dodge. Instead, he caught it beneath his arm, holding it in a good old Nelson. At the same time, he knelt to avoid a blow as he began channeling touch of the malefic viper. He saw his hands radiate a dark green color, and dark green veins began spreading down the root and into the ground. For the first time, he got a real reaction. Oh, I... He smiled to himself at first, but soon it turned to a frown. He felt his poison quickly being purified by the overwhelming vitality of the fungus. Another sharp tendril also emerged and cut off the root he was currently grasping, effectively halting his attack. In the end, his attack had done little more than anger the fungus, anger which materialized in the shape of more than a hundred roots shooting out of the ground all around him. Before, it clearly hadn't focused on him at all, its attention split between himself and all the other living creatures still roaming about the biodome. Now, however, he had its sole, undivided attention. He was forced to activate limit breaks straight up to twenty percent right away. The attacks were both stronger and more numerous than before. Even while boosted, he failed to dodge all the attacks. Several cuts appeared on his arms and legs. Finding time to counterattack was impossible, and he was forced to admit that he had been too arrogant in his approach. While his analysis of the monster's weakness was entirely accurate, he had forgotten one of the most important things, his own relative strength. Yet, for the next few minutes, he kept trying, and while he did clearly cause some damage here and there, the only thing he achieved was making the fungus more determined in killing the beast that had invaded it. He chucked poison bottles out and hit several mushrooms or plants, making them wither quickly, but it was only a drop in the bucket. Finally, it had had enough. 
Jake felt a massive amount of mana in the air as it used a skill. He saw hundreds of giant mushrooms wither as light exited them, only to gather mid-air, floating above the biodome like a new sun. Before he could grasp its intention, he felt his danger sense explode. His near-precognizant senses activated as he quickly covered his entire body in scales, and just in time, as a blue beam hit him right in his midsection. The entire ball of mana had been transformed into a special attack that blew him back hundreds of meters. The beam seared into his body and quickly burned through his armor, leaving only his scales to take the brunt of the attack. Luckily for him, the scales specialized in defending against magical attacks, but that did not mean it could in any way negate it. The scales all chipped and cracked on his chest, while the ones on his back practically shattered the moment he smashed into the cave wall. Coughing up blood, he tried but failed to dislodge himself from the wall before the follow-up attack arrived. Nine needle-like thorns pierced his stomach and chest and began sucking. Fuck, he thought, enraged as he activated blood of the malefic viper. If you want my blood, you better enjoy it. Something the fungus clearly did not. The thorns began withering right away as the toxic blood entered them. With a swipe of his arm, Jake broke them all off like rotten wood. Free at last, he dislodged himself from the wall and charged towards where he had entered the biodome. His health and stamina were both draining fast, as he didn't hold back on using Shadow Vault in one step mile. At this point, he had truly realized that this wasn't a fight he could win, but one he could survive. Running, he soon spotted the exit, only to see Roots emerge and cut it off. Simultaneously, a figure rose from the earth just in front of the thorn's newly erected wall. A giant creature, made up of roots and mushrooms, clearly strung together from tens or perhaps hundreds of different plants. It didn't look remotely humanoid. The only features that did were its two arms. It didn't have a head, and it was like only the construct's upper body emerged. Yet it towered over ten meters into the air as it formed yet another barrier between him and his escape. Jake didn't hesitate as he took out his bow and an arrow. For the first time since returning to Earth, he had to use his signature skill on full power, the one that had carried him for the tutorial time and time again. Knocking the arrow, he felt the mana and stamina build up as he pulled back the string. The air hummed, and the earth cracked in his wake from the pent-up mana. After only a few seconds, he let it go, yet it was the strongest arrow he had ever released. Infused power shot. The arrow flew out at supersonic speed and pierced straight through the giant construct. But it didn't stop there, as it also went through the wall of thorns, blasting a hole more than large enough for a human to get through. Before the fungus had a chance to close the hole, he stared down the construct with gaze of the primal hunter, freezing it in place for only a moment. He felt a slight headache from doing so, but it was enough. As the construct was a part of the larger monster, it froze the entire biodome, just long enough for him to take a step forward. A step that took him through the hole and out of the biodome. He didn't stop there and instead sprinted further away from the cursed place. Roots were extending through the tunnel, trying to chase him down. Luckily, the fungus didn't have any intention, or perhaps ability, to follow him for long. After not even a hundred meters, the roots stopped and retracted back to the biodome once more. Jake let himself fall back to the ground, as he breathed out in relief. Well, uh, well, well, he joked to himself, as he took out a health potion to chug down. At the same time, he deactivated Limit Break, 
and felt a sense of weakness wash over him. Once more he had been shown that D-grades most certainly weren't to be underestimated, but despite losing, he wasn't discouraged at all. Instead, he felt a sense of relief. He had feared that powerful enemies would only be found in the different danger zones, that he wouldn't be able to encounter any real challenges. Yet in only a few hours, he had encountered two enemies above his level, one of them even D-grade. It gave him a target to instantly be in working towards, and different plans and hypotheses to take down the giant fungus already began forming in his mind. For now, however, he would have to recuperate, recuperate and return to his little camp to continue his practice in alchemy. And this time, he had something to work directly towards. If fighting the fungus with his current means wasn't enough, if his current poisons weren't toxic enough, he would just have to make something better. A special cocktail for the dear fungus, if you will. He was already smiling to himself as he entered meditation, envisioning his next encounter with the thing.